to be Saturday? What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome back to Film Fight Club and 2020. I'm Glenn Falcon. I'm Falcon Screen. Welcome to 2020. It's 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 finally here. Um, Autometrists everywhere will be thrilled with the amazing marketing campaigns you can do. And there are many, many films that we are covering over the course and of the coming yet, months. And yet, at least two out of three of us don't have perfect vision. True, but, we were, but we, they weren't supposed to know that because we're on radio. This is why but we you do have radio. perfect vision when it comes to film, which is why we're all here. <laughs> film. We big Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hello. And freelance writing critic Farad Nehru. Oh, yeah. Hello. So we are back. Oh, yeah. We're back. We're back. We're back. It's I've awards season. 50 packs of cigarettes since last time you heard me. Yeah, we're watching awards like ceremonies. Like a Rolling so Stone. So, yeah, out of awards ceremonies, we can cover these if you want us to. We'll, it will touch on the Oscars. I mean, what's there to say? We say the same thing. It's like Marvel movies. We say the same thing about the Oscars every time there's another one. It's like they're not Parasite and Marriage Story were nominated. It's cool that Fine. it's cool that Parasite is breaking through. It's uh, historic. It's unprecedented in some ways. Um, but I just can't get excited about these awards. No. Ricky Gervais's speech was fun. Uh, so his his stand up was pretty good. Um, I'm but he, glad that's another thing. Like the Joker's Oscars, doing that's been done. Joker's doing way Ricky too Gervais. well. What, Eleven Academy Award nominations. I think um, we live in a society, Glenn. We live in a society where Academy voters are just glad that they can basically approve of a middle brow enough superhero movie to get nominated. It had to be Joker. God. All right. So that's our Oscars coverage. If you would Fra- like more Fra- Oscars, Fra- coverage, Oscars just, you were good. You know, re- reach out, let us know. But we are talking about this week. Reach out, let us know, and we'll say no. The Oscars <laughs> are stupid, and we're not talking about them. Yes, because we're not about validation or approval from mainstream things. But one thing that will be at the Oscars, and we are discussing this week, is the new Greta Gerwig film, Little Women, which is in cinemas now, as well as Bad Boys. Little Women, Bad Boys, Great Double. Bad Boys for Life, I should say. That is the new feature uh, that... In the now trilogy, also in cinemas. On the podcast later on, we'll be talking about The Truth, the new creator film, and Sorry We Missed You by Ken Loach, as well as promised The Rise of Skywalker spoils discussions. So, if anyone still cares about Star Wars and or still needs to feel some cathartic expressions of anger, we've got your back. But for the moment, we are talking about Little Women, which has been nominated for a number of awards, including Academy Awards, but not Best Director. But that shame and and is in cinemas now. It's an adaptation of the beloved story by Louisa May Alcott, and it's a new version in the way that it plays with time. It brings in events from into the second novel in the series, Good Wives, and later on, I think I'm not an expert on these books, so I wouldn't be the one to ask. But it's basically, if you don't know the story already, it's about the March daughters growing up. Uh, their um, yeah, their, be, lives, their lives, romantic entanglements. Uh, to be clear, uh, Joe is played seeking by out Sh- their careers. Uh, Joe is played by Shasha Ronan. Um, Emma Watson is Meg. Florence Pugh is Amy, and Eliza Scanlon. Australia's Eliza Scanlon is Beth. It also stars uh, Timothy Chalamet, Tracy Letts, Chris Cooper, Meryl Streep, uh, Laura Dern, and a great cameo, which we won't be getting into because it'll be spoilers. But there is a great cameo later in the movie. I'm not sure if it's designed to be this big shock cameo reveal, but it plays that way because how could it know not with this this actor in particular? Um, but playing, playing against type. I uh, gave my impressions of Little Women a while ago in the previous episode, so I'd like to hear first what you guys have to say. What did we think of Little Women? Yeah, uh, look, it's it's a it's a really good Greta Gerwig movie. If, if I, I think it's. It's a genre into, onto itself. I now. wouldn't I go should, that far. You should note that it's written and directed by 
Greta Gerwig based on the novel, obviously, by Alcott. Yes. I wouldn't say Novels, that Greta Gerwig is a genre unto her, herself at this point. But, I think she's, honestly, I would say that she's still just developing as a director. I would say this is a big leap forward from Yes, Lady from, from Lady Bird, yes. But, but, uh, but you, you can definitely think, see certain stylistic yeah, she, flourishes, she has, which is very much... She has a style, but I, I don't think she's so developed. It's not like a Bong Joon-ho movie oh, where no, it's no, like no. no one else could have done this. Oh, no, no, no. But... Yeah. but <laughs> The the playing with time thing, I'm not sure it quite works or even adds anything to the actual narrative, which is actually the most interesting discussion that you need to have. Because even without that, I think the story was quite compelling and could be told in a linear fashion. It wouldn't have taken anything away All right. from the actual experience of watching it. I like how it played with time. I think that uh, this is probably the main criticism that's pervaded as commentary on this film. I think that certain areas are very distinct in terms of how they are shot and how the characters are made up, whether it be hairstyles or the performances themselves. I think it does require, to an extent, a knowledge of the source material. I've certainly uh, seen the the previous film with Nona Ryder and read the book, uh, the first book, a couple of times, so that did help. I'll be curious to hear from people who haven't aren't so familiar with the source material in terms of the narrative framing. What did, however, annoy me was the framing of the entire film within the story within a story um, we've seen Game of Thrones conclude on a similar note we've seen Gilmore Girls conclude with a similar note in I think, most, most great infamy I don't think it's quite as simple as that but I can't get into debating you with that without getting into spoilers I, I so maybe we better, can discuss this at the end on the podcast with pleasure I think it's better handled here but I still think it's a tried story device that didn't need to be deployed here I think um even, I, even if it does have relevance and resonance within this particular story. I think the reason why she's doing it is to make some kind of contemporary feminist commentary on the source material. And I I think the approach she took yeah. drew me out of the narrative in a way that I found jarring. But let's discuss I, this in the spoilers. I, I, I definitely think the point is that, you know, the fact that, uh, yes, we kind of have moved from the times, but have we actually because it's a story within story which is equally resonant today as it was yeah, back I then. Yeah, I, I think, think we it's, can't it's talk trying to too make much more about this without giving away the ending. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> um another. But, but of- I did like the hairstyles. I mean, let's let's give the it credit. Production is great. The, the thing is, like, Shosha Ronan's hair and Timothy Chalamet. I mean, whatever is going on with his hair in this movie, it's just having a life of its own, which is fantastic. Should have been nominated for like hairstyling at least. With what you were saying about not finding the playing with time to be altogether successful. Yeah. I think this film as a whole, works in patches. I think it's a really good film. I think think, think, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but I think there's large stretches of it where the approach of constantly cutting back and forth in time just creates something that feels too busy and a lot of scenes go past without really resonating. I think at the moments when the whole thing comes together, like towards the end... It needlessly complicated at times when it doesn't need to be. Yeah, there's moments near the end where there's some nice contrasts with the flashbacks and flash-forwards where I think the emotional effect that Goings going with with this kind of um, yeah, the, melancholy look, you know, look at the present really versus change, you know. nostalgia for the past. Um, I think that there's times that it really works, um, but perhaps the film didn't need so all-encompassing a flashback, flash-forward structure, and could have just used those in a in a bit of more of a streamlined way f- when it would be most emotionally. Uh, effective. I think what can be more jarring at times is the way pacing is deployed differently throughout the film. I agree. Now, uh, Goig's style, we've seen it in Lady Bird 2, is to be have quite fast-paced 
very modern-esque dialogue. Um, this works in some elements where we has to establish char- several characters' backgrounds. It only works to great effect earlier in the film. I didn't think it worked so well in, say, one key sequence where she meets, where Joe meets Mr. Lawrence, where a very empathetic moment in the novel is sped up and handled very quickly. I think the pacing works better in the moments that are more action-oriented. I'm referring, of course, to the uh, theatre sequences. I think those were deployed sparingly and very well. They were some of my favourite in the film, including the first appearance by Lawrence in that regard, obviously played by yeah. Timothy Chalamet. And it also worked very well in probably the most, like, arguably the most iconic sequence of the novel, which is the scene on the lake, yeah. which is very well handled. Actually, yeah, that, that's a fair point because a lot of the emotional beats which I felt needed room to breathe felt just that I they agree. were rushed. I think if you... Uh, and not because of performance or anything. I think they just required more screen time to be able to actually infuse you and leave you with a sense of melancholy that is intending to leave you well, with. Well, when we were, um, when I first covered this film last year, I compared it to The Irishman. That's a film that also has a ton of incidents happening and quite fast paced narration. But the difference is that that film allows itself the time to cover a lot of things, but still give moments some breathing room when they need to. I think for the amount of story that she was trying to tell here, 132 minutes was too short. Um, on there, especially also, if it's complicated with the back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, all the time. yeah. There's yeah. there's so many elements that are packed into this film. Um, a lot happens. It's very lean. Yeah. And, but the moments that resonated most to me are the ones where um, things slowed down, and they were quieter. Yeah, which um, it does towards the end. And I'll highlight a couple. There's one beautiful moment where we see Miss Lawrence, the Chris Cooper character, having a deeply emotional personal moment on a set of stairs. And the camera rested on this, and it was beautiful. Another where a character is urging a character to get better. Stunning. Those are some of my favorites Look, it, in the movie. The the thing is that when the emotional linchpins of the film are all kind of falling into place, which I would say is the last 40 or so minutes of the film, um, it slows down in a way that it hasn't it only does sporadically throughout and that's when i think the film starts to pick up momentum and emo- i mean you know it, it, it's quite moving it's it, it's a challenge to adapt the source material i mean you know louisa may alcott's uh, a novel firstly it's 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 a very thick novel it's it, there's a lot that happens uh, and it's very dense i would say very dense <laughs> emotionally and also in terms of you know it's yeah, so much but also, like, what do you choose to to take out is also equally important. And I think this film tries to pack in all the key scenes and everything else in more selective I think choices so too. of taking the scenes that you wanted. to. What's always interesting when there's a new adaptation is how is this one going to be different? What is the central focus here? Yeah, and remember, this, the Christian Bale Winona Ryder version still bears so heavily in fans' minds. It wasn't that long ago. And yeah, it's it's like a kind of Christmas. It's on TV. Everyone gather around and watch the watch Little Women. It's that it's got that kind of place in culture now. Yeah, this one gather <laughs> around TV and watch Little Women. Sorry. Yeah, it's 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 played forever. It's like have a have a cup of warm cocoa and watch Little uh, Women. It's like yeah, with, a, with a nice woolen rug. But for a generation, it's a formative film. So the um this take the fo- the sh- focus is shifted. Um, I would say to be more about um, Joe March's writing. The, it, it anchors the film at the beginning because of the, that's something that the flash yeah, forward the, structure does to be able to... The editing and taking and give the us, kind of struggles to be yeah, a writer, yeah. A moment from near the from closer towards the end of, of the, the timeline involving her writing yeah. near the beginning of the film so that that idea is anchored yeah. throughout the whole narrative. I mean, who wants to be um, a writer and, in this economy? Anyway. And it, it comes to be to be the, the climax of the film, uh, you know, the, the um, centered around her writing. 
I found that stuff really effective. I wish the film would have gone on out of its way to be even uh, more focused on that and diverge more from the original narrative. But it feels torn between um, doing justice to doing the original, ju- yeah, trying to pay homage right. to the original and feature all of the main or feature the significant events from the original narrative. Yeah. When it would have been better to. Tried, shift, shift that yeah, point of view and exactly. just focus on this other thing that you know exactly yeah but then it it tries to i'll get into this more with spoilers late, later but to speak on it on in vague terms it feels a little bit smug to me in the way that instead of just um committing to being something different it tries to have it both ways and offer some fourth wall breaking commentary on the original narrative and for a film that was so earnest and did such a good job of drawing me into joe march's interior joe march's interior world and her uh, her writing and her quest to find inspiration again, I was just suddenly drawn right out of the narrative. Um, turning to some of the performances, which are generally very good, Greg um, Gerwig has brought together an amazing ensemble Florence of actors. Florence Pugh, though. Florence Pugh was my favourite in That show. was a deserving After... Academy Award nomination. And she got a Best Supporting Actress nom. She did. Uh, Chalamet is excellent. Um, Say I that like on the Oscars. Uh, Emma Watson it's one of my favorite performances from her. She's not fine. on the level of uh, many of the other <laughs> but she has, stars, in particular Cher, yeah. Cher, Ronan, and Florence Pugh. She has less to good. do, so yeah. so it, it's but fine. But also, like, I don't think Emma Watson. She's, an, she's a competent actress. She's never been a great one, so it's okay. And however, and I and I will say I liked Laura Dern in this. However, I didn't like her dynamics with a lot of the other characters. She didn't really have a great chemistry with Cher, Cher Ronan, which is strange to say. I've never really criticized Laura Dern performance before. I don't think it's on her. I just don't think they're as effective a working pair as Dern and in fairness Ronan has been with many other forms of scene within this film and others their scenes didn't resonate so well for me um, I, that's distinct as from Dern's pairings with some of the other characters in the film but um, I felt she was uh, distinctly out of kilter uh, with many of the other performers herein she was good it was just operating on a different tenor to her co-stars yeah I mean I there's nothing bad or something you know out of flavor to say about the performances they were all competent i thought no i, yeah. I think i think they're but actually florence really is definitely the standout this may I be think, my favorite performance what, from her what's the name of the florence eliza scanlon yeah. um beth yes eliza scanlon did a really good job oh, yes. as beth beth could have been a much more treacly manipulative but, character in less sensitive hands but see, see that's the thing I, I the complaint goes back to the narrative because this film doesn't really know what route it wants to take, whether it wants to actually be an original story with a shift in focus or actually be an adaptation. We have so many of these threads which could be like more deliciously explored. This could have gone deliciously. Would thou like to live deliciously? (laughs) (laughs) You know, there could have been more, you know, golf smackingly beautiful or whatever. (laughs) Lip smackingly. There's a very, there's like a a food thing going on here for some reason. (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) um, That is Little Women. Yeah, uh, go I'm, go I'm, watch it. It's it's not a bad. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, we've we've been it's, it's picking it apart film. for a long a, a lot of this, but it's still it's, a good film. It's a, no, it's actually really good. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, it's absolutely worth seeing. The, it has it's, it's better really than nice, seeing Rise of Skywalker again. Trust me. Yeah, it has really nice painterly cinematography. Um, oh yes, actually, yeah, yeah. Let's the, yeah. yeah the, we, the characters feel like they have that. interior life. Um, there's a lot that's that's great about yeah. it. Meryl Streep was hilarious, by the way. She was very fun as Aunt March. Yes, Auntie. So that is in cinemas now. And we'll be back in a moment talking all things Bad Boys for Life. Stay tuned. We're back with feature albums and our first for 2020 is from English rhythm rockers Field Music. Fronted by Peter and David Brewis, Field Music get conceptual on their new record, Making a New World. 
at least fun melodies and elastic grooves you'll hear it on Breakfast, Drive and Static, where two SCR supporters can win a copy. Making a New World by Field Music. Feature album on 2SCR 107.3. Stories, ideas, music. It's here. Sydney Festival is taking over the city once again. Filled with cabaret, music, theatre, art and more. From January 8 to 26, experience some of the best international and local performances. From Holly Herndon to Yarning Circles, or the Bankstown Poetry Slam to one of the UK's top illusionists, you'll find plenty of inspiration for a great night out. Check out the full program of events at sydneyfestival.org. 2SER is a media partner of Sydney Festival. Don't miss the best new queer cinema from around the world at Queer Screen's 27th Mardi Gras Film Festival. With over 130 films, there's something for everyone. The program spans everything from The Glass Room, an epic love story of two women trapped by war, and Then We Danced, a powerful film about a young gay dancer defying the odds, to Bit, the transgender and lesbian vampire flick for lovers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. These and more are showing from February 13 to 27. See the full program and grab tickets at quizgreen.org.au. To see our partners. Sydney Outdoor Bed Cinema is back. Watch a movie under the stars from the comfort of a bed. Yes, that's right, a bed. The comfiest cinema experience, Movie in Bed, has landed on the rooftop of the Entertainment Quarter. Get food by Fratelli Fresh, El Camino or the Bavarian Beer Cafe delivered to your bed for the perfect night out this summer. Book your bed online at movieinbed.com. M-O-V-I-N-B-E-D.com. Two SER sponsors. And welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Ratneru, and we are talking Bad Boys for Life, the third in what was, was now a Bad Boys trilogy. Bad Boys, it's, Bad there's Boys. There's going to be more. What you gonna do? There's going to be more. There's never going to be come for you. an ending to any movie series ever again. The Bad Boys universe. Every franchise goes forever. It's now a universe. Until people stop buying tickets. This is it Boys is- with B-O-I-Z? This is a sequel to, oh God, can you imagine? This is a sequel to the 1995 <laughs> classic. It is a classic by Uncle Bay starring Will Smith. Sounds like you just said Mon- Uncle Bay. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that Uncle, Uncle Bay with Mon- his explosions and his leering shots at, at, at models. Well, he, he, him and his, his, his orange They're not leering, they were just lingering for a second or two. A lot, a lot longer than the second you've seen uh, the third Transformers film, Demi. But he's not directing this. This is directed by Adele Il Arby and Bilal Falah. Michael Bay does appear in this. He has a cameo. Obviously, Lawrence returns as Mark Spinett and Will Smith as Mike Lowry. And we also have Joe Pantoliano returning and joining the cast, Vanessa Hudgens, Alexander Ludwig, Paula Nunes, Charles Melton, who plays Reggie in Riverdale. And yeah, so we're, this is the third entry it is set obviously it's, in miami the first bad boys came out in 95 the, the second, second one, one came out in 2003 this one's more than twice as long between the first and uh, the second and third bad boys the question is sony are why? just really desperate for franchises right now it's the same reason why we're having a new ghostbusters even though the last attempt to do a new ghostbusters fell flat on its face right, uh, one okay it's a so bad boys is back bad boys <sighs> is back and honestly i went back and rewatched the opening credits for the first bad boys film that is better than this entire movie i'm gonna say why okay the opening credits are fun because they take simple shots and great music and Michael Bay elevates it with his absolutely bombastic style. These directors are not capable of doing this and it shows. Like the worst of Michael Bay is much, which you can see, I would say, in Bad Boys 2 at times. 
It's much worse than anything this film has to offer because Bay go. This Wait, film is you just mean, basically you mean much better. No, no, no. Hear me out. The worst what that Bay does is much worse than anything in this film um, because this is basically tastefully bland. Whereas Bay, um, as shameless as he is, really goes there into some pretty sick and unwarranted sources of humor, I would say, in Bad Boys 2. There's some genuinely distasteful stuff in that movie. They destroy a village. They destroy a Cuban village. They it's also awful. they also destroy just cadavers, and, and it's played for laughs, and the whole thing just is just kind of sick. Oh, you went there? Yes. Yeah, the, it's, 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 but, it's, but, you know, Bay, rats. Bay's sick, politically incorrect humor runs through all his films. And even uh, the Transformers Boys, movies, which are aimed at kids, have some, j- some arguably... The original Bad Boys, no. Bad Boys 2, yes. Absolutely, but there's very similar question. humor even through Transformers, which is ostensibly aimed at kids. Uh, so that's the worst of Michael Bay. But on the other hand, the guy had genuinely has panache, right? As you say, his style is so bombastic, so over the top, he strings together some genuinely interesting styles of, of act- shooting action. Um, he, he has been decried for his all-over-the-place uh, rapid-cutting style, but... It's genuinely a style. Yeah, go back and watch the the whole film was over twenty three million dollars. Go back and watch the foot chase from Bad the Boys hotel one. lobby in Bad Boys One. Um, it only takes place through a few blocks. There's nothing as interesting in this film as that great shot of all the bad guys running down a stark white corridor as Mike Lowry all practically shot running down the highway to save Marcus where the most crazy thing that happens was Marcus jumping on a car here where you get mo- literally several times the budget you feel you have to dial it up but it's because but that all only means you bring green screen because the actors aren't willing to do this well, or aren't able the, the, or the studios aren't willing for their actors to do these practical effects the, this is also engaging this is also a, a much cheaper film I mean by today's standards 90 million um, I, I would say factoring in the way that budgets have inflated, this is probably like half the budget of Bad Boys 2, which I think costs like $130 million or something like that, um, you know, 16 years ago. It looks cheap. And the thing about the way that the action's shot is that it's not... It feels like a third-generation Xerox of Michael Bay's style. Like, the, you can kind of sense the, the that it's colorful and flashy, but not in any interesting way because all the the best ideas ha- happened 16 years ago and we're seeing the after image there's one interesting one interestingly shot composed shot in the entire film and it's an aerial it's a low angle shot of a character running along a grate which is like oh wait this is different but then we just reverse revert to the very statically shot oeuvre and um, there is also a great shot where two characters come out of a window and it's done as a surprise given the way the camera is set back otherwise it's so traditional in how it's done. The, the visual I didn't like Bad Boys bad, too, by the way. Oh, I, but at least there were some more engaging scenes. I, I can literally count on one hand the interesting scenes in this film. The scene where a character vaults from a balcony, mm. and one scene where a car vaults off a truck. But this scene was submerged in so much green screen. Well, uh, yeah, that's the thing. When I say the visual screen. effects are bad, it looks low budget. It's too obvious that they've not had the budget to even really stage some of this mayhem. Whereas yeah. so you compare it to Bad Boys Two, which gets so ridiculously bombastic and in the way that the the scenes are staged. But it, they felt like things were actually really there and really happening. Um, oh, the third good scene was the one with the accountant. Um, on the matter of how Bad Boys are shot, it feels like... Bad Boys 2 felt like they made them superheroes. And this, again, doubles down on that. They're just normal people. Why do we have to have superheroes? Because every movie, every, ac- every action movie, every blockbuster has to be about elevated style. Things keep getting bigger and bigger and badder and bigger. Um, like the finale in this movie, which you know, is just a headache. Yeah, um... This film is just so, so 2020. Like the way that um, it's such a bizarre plot. I, I'd i love to spoil the hell out of it, but um, basically it's suddenly 
All right. I'm reminded of an essay Matt Zolosites wrote last year, I think it was, where he was talking about the new generate the new future of media and one of the point and the franchise addiction that we have well and truly entered into. And one of the points he made was that soap operas have gone away on TV um, in the prime time, but soap operas have entered into every other genre of entertainment. And there are some real soap opera aspects because in this film, and it, it makes sense that there would be, because how else are you going to get people involved, hooked enough to stay in and come back for the next installment? Yeah. Marvel and Fast and the Furious have really perfected this formula. So suddenly there's a moment in this movie where, they, where um, a character says like, oh, this sounds like a telenovela. Yeah, it does. It it doesn't give you brownie points for being self-aware of that if if the script is still a crappy soap opera. But why would you do that to bad boys of all things? Like, why do I suddenly care about the interior life of Mike Lowry, yeah, to, who is just like a shallow Will Smith quip machine cool guy? To give everyone an idea, there is a shameless retconning of Mike Lowry, which moreover, in addition to a number of scenes in this film, takes place in a very shallow... Uh, attempt at being overly emotional, uh, just exposition dump. I reminded of that terrible scene in The Accountant where the whole film grinds to a halt for 10 minutes so J.K. Simmons can just explain what the hell is going on. One of these sequences belongs to Joe Pantoliano, and he's good, and it's generally nice Joe seeing him Pantoliano in this. Joe Pantoliano is so to... funny in all these movies. But he, he he's like Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens, in Rise of like, he, it's, he, he doesn't want to have to sell the style, he's but, just, he's tossed, but he's getting paid a lot of money he's, for it. Right. He's a really loud... Uh, rendition of the classic angry you you've destroyed the whole neighborhood um police detective but his character is this more michael bade up version where he's just constantly yelling and the camera's swooping in his face and he's got a funny way of talking and yeah it's great he he shows up here and gets his paycheck but there's nothing that feels like it has any real energy for me for me the whole movie was basically moribund it's fast paced but i don't buy the drama i don't um i don't care about these cliche um Sicario villains, the yeah. cartels that they're up against. It's, it's just as bad as villains in the first couple of films. Um, the one, the things I will say that I did like about it, um, the Charles Melton and Alexander Ludwig characters were good. There was some good character development there. Not nearly so much given to their female counterparts in this new Fast and Furious type squad. Um, another thing, <laughs> uh, I, Miami, really I would say my yeah. one thing. They're definitely looking to Fast and Furious, but one thing, the all the Bad Boys movies, especially Bad Boys 2 and 3 do, is feel like a really ex- expanded Miami Vice episode with like the squad tracking things down, the driving around in Miami, being cool. Um, and yeah. On that, you know, it's honestly nice to see the squad together. Like, they have a genuine charisma together. They are good together. And while a lot of it is Martin Smith, so Martin Lawrence Will Smith saying, oh, you know, we ride together, die together, there's just a couple, there's a recurring reference to hair dye which is actually very touching what what do and we think I, and, they, and honestly the two of them hanging out with some of the better bits of this film yeah look i think they had good charisma um especially martin lawrence i didn't expect <laughs> martin lawrence to um uh, be star as of good. Uh, the beach bum yeah I, I didn't expect him to be as good as he was in this he was funny um i, I think there it's the writing that was contrived when it's trying to create wedges but be- and between the characters and keep the soap opera shenanigans running along um Martin Lawrence basically made it believable where the the writing couldn't carry the weight of it. Yeah, on the matter of Martin Lawrence, um, 
the act- actors aren't leading us into the physicality of, of as they did in the earlier Bad Boys. They're too There's old. There's one scene where Martin Lawrence plays this up to great comic effect, and it's contrast with how Will Smith goes about it. It's very funny. The film will instance that more could have worked, but no, it's pretending that they are want to pursue the same level of kinetic energy that they did in the first and even the second Bad Boys film. Can you believe that it looks like we're going to get a Bad Boys 4 now with this big success, and clearly they're up for it, <laughs> and yet they called this one Bad Boys for Life? Oh, they dear. missed a big opportunity for Bad Boys for Life. Yeah, and as did Fate of the Furious, calling themselves F8 of the Furious. But but they, they did pick that number intentionally, they, I think. They did, they did effectively. So, yeah, that is, they did, they missed out. And uh, we're missing, and, and there's going to be another Bad Boys. I just don't care. See, I don't care. Either. I just don't care. No. I'm like, are there any franchises that you're still interested in? Um, James Bond, which we will cover later in the year. So. That is Bad Boys for Life. It is in cinemas now as Little Women. On the podcast, please uh, stay tuned if you listen to podcast or uh, just subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. We're going to be talking Sorry I Missed You, The Truth, and Rise of Skywalker spoilers. At the end, we might tack on a couple of spoilers for Little Women and Bad Boys for Life if you're interested in hearing what we have to say about those ones. Next week, we're going to be covering the new Terrence Malick film, A Hidden Life, The Gentleman, uh, Bombshell, uh, Beautiful Day in Neighborhood starring Nin- Tom Hanks. 1917. And Seaberg, um, the new Christmas. That's a hell film. of a lot of movies. Yeah, we, we, it's, I think feel like half of those are going to be on the podcast. Oh yeah, well, uh, the Hidden Life will definitely be on Hidden the main Life, show. Nineteen Seventeen. Yeah, Bombshell maybe. Um, yeah, I think that sounds good. But we will be covering the new Malik. We're seeing it tomorrow night. We are quite seen it already. Seen it already, but yeah, I'm I'm Malik'd out. I'm, I'm yeah. Well, that's high praise. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I never want to watch another Terrence Malik movie again. Five stars. It's not hidden praise. It's quite apparent. Okay. And another thing to look forward to, which we'll be covering in two weeks, is The Lighthouse. If you want to catch it, it's playing at Westpac Open Air on Saturday or at the Fantastic Film Festival launch at the Round of Grits on Sunday night. I'll be there. There's also check it out there. another session of it coming up on the Thursday after that, which I'll be at for Ritz members. Become a member. The Ritz is great. Um, at the Art Gallery of New South Wales this week, Bedevil by Tracy Moffat, which is three indigenous supernatural stories, uh, is playing at 2 p.m., and are there any other goings on about well, town? There's the Miyazaki films playing at the Studio Ghibli films, I should say, playing at the art gallery, but I think they're all booked they're out. They're all sold out. And I think they are all, all Miyazaki films. Yeah. All Miyazaki films. So kill someone if they've got a ticket and get their ticket. So this has been Glenn. Don't, please don't do that. This has been Glenn Falkstein, Chris Evans, and for unless it's my neighbor Totoro word, it's okay. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. We'll be back next week. Just, uh, tune into iTunes, Spotify. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. It's great to be back. Good night. Welcome back to Film Fight Club, where we are talking. A lot of things that are in cinema right now, including Sorry We Missed You, the new film from Ken Loach, which premiered at the Sydney Film Festival last year and is screened at the Melbourne International Film Festival and is in cinemas now. Yeah, me and Verrett caught this. Glenn, I think, hasn't gotten a chance to see it yet. Um, I found this to be really, really moving. It's about a delivery driver who takes on a zero-hour contract where he's told that he's the master of his own destiny um, if he works hard, the, the re- rewards will come to him and he gets to manage his own business uh, as a, a delivery <laughs> driver who's been g- granted this specific route. And his Ray Willie Lemon. Yes. His wife is a carer um, who seems to be overworked due to people's lack of care. Um, and his son is experiencing difficulties from, with the law. Um becoming a graffiti artist and is starting to skip school. So it's basically about a family in crisis um, and the negative flow on effects from exploitation of the father um, and the mother to a lesser extent. 
based on the terrible conditions of their jobs and how that can lead to um, possibly the destruction of a family. I mean, yeah, give it to Ken Loach to make a anti-capitalist movie in, in our times. It's probably... No. <laughs> I know. But actually, what, what is the most interesting thing about this film, as you raised, Chris, and it's because it is a deeply political film, but mm. at no point does it become this kind of grand... It's not about speechifying. Yeah. But also, it's it's still a very personal film, like you said. It's, it never sort of evolves into a grand statement of any kind. It still remains a very small family film. And I think it's a win for these kind of smaller narratives, which people just kind of don't realize how much more drama can happen. And I think, you know, we had that with Marriage Story as well. well uh, there's know. enormous dignity, I think, in this really in-depth look at people's lives that is taking ordinary people's problems seriously. And this film, at least on an emotional level, I think has an epic scope because it tries to fill in the details of these people's lives and show their contradictions in such detail uh, that you get completely drawn in. Um, it's the, his style of filmmaking is simple, but I think masterful. It, he really draws you right into these people's lives. I mean, last year, uh, a good friend of ours, Ian Barr, recommended another film called Ray and Liz. And I was also oh, yeah, looking yeah. at that kind of, kind very of small, Ken intimate, Loach. yeah, <laughs> very much a small, intimate family portrait. But it's interesting to see, uh, you know, we had a lot of films like that. Patterson was among them as well, to see how basically these smaller, uh, supposedly moments that you notice every day, but you never get to actually discuss the dignity of them take bigger meaning in well, kind of Ken Loach's narrative. It's a style of filmmaking that's been with us for a long time, but it's just in, in today's market. And market really is the, the word for it. <laughs> yeah, the, the um, kind of grandiose superhero movies, which is oversaturated. Yeah, and the, there's less people going out for these kinds of small stories that are really expertly told. Um, going back to the virtues of this one a bit, um, with how you were saying that it, it isn't focused on being a grand political statement... Something that speaks to that is um, how much inner life the characters seem to have. Yeah. Uh, they feel real. They don't just feel like they exist in order to manipulate you and your sympathies via what hap- the bad things that happen to them. And the script feels really authentic and properly researched in that it doesn't feel like a contrived manipulative narrative to me. It feels like something that could conceivably happen. Obviously, we're looking at a a pretty worst-case example in this film, but um, sketched with enough subtlety to the people's different motivations. Like the character of the the manager who runs the company while claiming that his employees are actually running their own businesses. Um, And the thing is, like, you know, he doesn't feel like a villain of any kind because he truly believes that. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a product of the system. He buys into his own lies, which are (laughs) about maximizing exploitation of the workers, but he does so thinking that he's, uh, that his whip-cracking approach is the only way that they're going to bring money and jobs into this community. And, and, and part of that is like how an entire generation is bought into this narrative of the gig economy, which is going to improve your lives because it's somehow giving you, the employee, more power to take charge of your own decisions. Exactly, yeah. Uh, but it doesn't really realize the institutional problem that there is in people actually needing uh, to have a life outside of work. Yeah, and um, what raises this above tragedy point, I think, is how much of the film is really focused on people's goodness. It could have easily just been about how terrible people are to each other, but it's really about how 
people are really struggling. Yeah, they're just trying to do you know they're trying an honest to do, day's work. Yeah, but a good day's work. But also that the family and um, their friend, you know, the the friend the boy has, etc. All seem and even some of the bystanders they they come across really seem to you know are doing their best. I think a lot the movie really I think in some ways is is like a mo- like even though the the family seems to be coming apart in some way the way that they they still have each other's backs when things get really really bad is uh, and, sort and, of like a model for yeah, human and, decency uh, and that's actually a really important point especially because look usually in these kind of narratives you see the opposite effect where you know in s- stories where the narrative or the circumstances are bad you compound that with even worse characters which are just being deliberately dickish yeah yeah, yeah. deliberately prude but here it's the opposite yeah yeah the circumstances are terrible but actually what saves the people is that actually most people are just good people and they're trying to do the right thing exactly i think what stops this from uh, what makes the political force of this story be felt more strongly is that it doesn't just feel like it's agitprop Political manipulation. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not like I'm reminded <laughs> it of that scene. Makes its point without having to. Yeah, reminded of you. that scene in, in Joker, which is you know deliberately piling on the misery just to make that point, where he just gets yeah. kicked in that in that alley. This is much just, much more subtle. <laughs> yes, thank God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also, I mean, uh, going back to cinematography, which is actually in this film, it's it's so same cinematographer precise. as as Marriage Story, Robbie yeah. Ryan. But it's so precise because I think this is one thing which I don't we don't talk about technically. It's how precisely it's blocked. And how each scene is yeah, blocked. Yeah, that, that's what I meant when I was saying it's a simple style, but it's it really draws yeah. you in. Like he everyone knows, knows exactly. Yeah, yeah. He knows when to put people in the edge. Foreground, background, and what kind yeah. of emotional affectation that creates. Yeah, yeah. And how yeah. that compositional kind of tension. It's, it's the kind of direction that isn't doesn't get very old school. Uh, yeah, and it's the kind of direction that doesn't get much attention these days. I'm looking at you, Oscars, for not nominating <laughs> Marriage Story, despite that getting so many acting nominations. Yeah, and as being so well blocked. As yes. before, so if you would most, like us to do Oscars fame. coverage, please reach out and let us know. We are, you know, yeah. laissez-faire about this. I but, mean, but it, the, it did give us the most famous meme of all time with that, you know, deliberately, you know, that kind of uh, wall-breaking scene from Marriage Story. I'm not sure what, what we're talking about. On, on, I'm on Twitter. not anyway. sure what you're talking about at all. Anyway, you guys know. You, you're, if you're, you so, know, you know. Yeah, so, social um, media savvy. I agree. It's it's beautifully directed, but not in a way that calls attention to itself, yeah. which seems to be the only type of direction that anyone wants to acknowledge these days. Oh, God. So that's, sorry, we missed you. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah, we do hope maybe, maybe Director Bong will do well at the Oscars, or Noah Baumbach. Or Tarantino, honestly. I think he did a beautiful job um, directing, this, but I'm, I may be alone in this room. Oh, God. I mean, no, no, no I mean, not, well. not that way. He did well, but like... And there's momentum we from all the ceremonies at the moment so it is honestly up for grabs you in 1917 appears the front runner my god man I, look Sam we are was in, robbed for we, road we are, so a lot seen, of people are feeling have that have you guys seen 1917 yeah oh, it was yeah it was okay we're covering it next week in detail yeah, okay it, we're in 2020 guys you know get get over 1917 it's fine um, it happened there was war people died cool but like wouldn't it be great not cool really if we not had, cool if we had a film about how 1917 really was. I'll save the rest of these comments for next week. Yeah. So another film. The Truth, <laughs> yes. which had its premiere as part of a Melbourne's National Film Festival special event and is now in general release. I should note, as sorry, as with Sorry We Missed You, both these films, they're in limited release and I believe not for too much longer. Yeah, so if you're interested in The Truth or Sorry We Missed You, it's time to get on over to the cinema. But if you're interested in The Truth, generally you should just listen to Film Fight Club. That's true. Um, yeah, it's the truth. You lies. It is the truth. Um, 
it's the new Hirokazu Koreeda film. It's following up Shoplifters. Um, it's French, which is uh, the first French film from Koreeda. It's, in his words, a tribute to Catherine Deneuve. It features her playing a catty, aging actress, somewhat Catherine Deneuve-like, <laughs> uh, who uh, is the mother to Juliette Binoche, who is visiting with her lame American TV star partner, Played by Ethan, Ethan Hawke, Hawk, which is, I think, brilliant casting. He yeah. does... He I never knew how to do this role. Yeah. He's he, just and playing he a schlubby really dad. Yeah. yeah, basically. He's the great lame dad. He's, yeah, that's right. He's, because he's always been playing the cool dad from like right. boyhood and like all these other. He he has almost nothing to do in this movie, but I did definitely appreciate his lame dadisms. <laughs> uh, so they have a young daughter and various soap opera esque things. And, and happen. she was she was very very good. In yeah, well. yes, yeah, she was. That's true. Various soap opera esque things happen. Juliette Binoche is upset with Catherine Deneuve for something that happened in the youth of her mother involving the suicide of a rival actress who was friends with her with Binoche as a girl. Yeah, uh, I was uh, incredibly lucky to see this film uh, when Corey was touring Australia. So he got to answer some of the behind-the-scenes work about what this film means and how this film came about. Apparently he wrote the script and it was basically translated into French so it was a great translation exercise as well mm. and still a lot of that script holds really well uh, because you know he had to have the translator on set to basically communicate a lot of that emotion as well mm. and yet when you watch the film there is this distinctive Korean touch it never loses the humanism which is prevalent in almost all of its movies so I'm just amazed at this very kind of cast from different cultures and different language barriers coming together and still making a very Korean movie which is you know it's still the director's work and still he's in control of most it, things including editing yes, which is he, fantastic he in this film, film. Um, I think the editing flows nicely on a scene by scene basis but I disagree that it's well edited because my okay. my overall um, impression of this film is that it drags too much I, I find I, I'm not sure whether part of this is just that the script for me wasn't interesting enough, like the character drama never really felt deep enough. Um, I, I think the the script is a little bit too scattered and messy with all these different characters. You know, you've got the housekeeper, you've got this grandfather, you've got this person, and it's all just kind of fragments. And to me, the way this film is structured, it would have felt more satisfying if these characters either were cut or featured in the narrative in a more kind of integrated way. Um, but man, it's a beautiful film to watch. It's like the way the most notable thing about the film to me is the way it's directed. Uh, yeah. Really elegant uh, in the way that he layers people in the frame. These he has these sort of intimate close-ups where it's just about small moments in life. And also uh, an interesting thing about repetitive tasks. You know how yeah, like wash the, peeling. Yeah, watch people doing and you know, especially washing things. Yeah, uh, with the grandmother walking, and and and, and the, the granddaughter. There was a scene about when they're deliberate things about uh, combing the hair. Yeah, And yeah, that yeah. scene comes around with uh, Juliette Binoche and Catherine Deneuve as well. So you have this generational bonding exercise through, yeah. through you know, simple tasks that they do together. Yeah. Which is, once again, a beautiful way to demonstrate how this is a familial bonding exercise yeah. without it being on the nose. I don't think uh, it's one of his most successful films, but he's a great director, so there's always notable things here. And I think that sensitivity with which he t- treats the characters and the actors, um, as well as the really beautiful low-key way that he knows how to 
I mean, choose just a the, shot. Yeah, and just how he directs children. I mean, he's just somehow able to get the most amazing performances out of kids. Yeah. I mean, here, I mean, the best performances was by the granddaughter. I, that's what I feel. So it's it's fascinating to see, mm. and she was so at ease. I mean, there were scenes when she's on set, and she's clearly, you know, fascinated, and she's able to portray that egoism to this other. It's uh, a really unaffected yeah. kind of child performance. Which I don't know. It's something about Corriere. Maybe he just He's, knows how yeah, to get he, the best out of child. He knows actors. how to. He has the right, Sh- you know, psychologist's mind for unlocking something in in kids. And when and they perform, yeah, I guess Catherine Genov as well. It was fascinating to to hear him speak about what that experience was like because she didn't arrive on set before 12 p.m. because she's Catherine Deneuve and she of course, just, yeah she's exactly the character <laughs> that we see in this film but um, it's yeah it's 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 fascinating to see yeah. that kind of cuz it could have easily become like an August Osage County kind of a parody but it's still it's it's more low key it's, it's he's definitely not interested not. in no. it's it's actually the, even low key by creator status exactly he does he's not he the char- people have uh, issues with each other, but they're not really interested in massive crying confrontations. <laughs> yeah, because usually with these they kind of things, you know, gradually there, there's some secret that is uncovered in these family outing yeah, movies, which like everybody knows. Which it feels like a Fahadi movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, but even then, here, it, it doesn't. It doesn't actually. It, yeah. It's the anti Fahadi movie because there is this great massive reveal, but it comes almost in such a low-key, unassuming, unaffected yeah. manner that it kind of feels like, oh, so that was it? <laughs> There's also this film within a film aspect of it where Deneuve yeah. is in this sci-fi movie about a mother. Um, <laughs> that, that was actually the most... The, the scene, some of the scenes are fu- uh, quite funny because of yeah. the, you know, um, the way that the director seems like he's got no idea of what he's doing and the movie looks pretty bad to me. Apparently, it's an adaptation of a real short story, like an English-language short story oh. the creator read. And okay. that he he adapt he had the idea of you know making scenes from that story, being directed. I'm not sure whether it was his idea for them to be being directed badly, but that's the impression that I got. Mm. Um, but this this idea again is interesting and amusing, um, but I didn't feel like it tied into the narrative well enough for me. I I respect what Corriere is trying to do with this more fragmentary yeah. approach. Um, but I think the theme just didn't cohere yeah. enough. I, I agree that it's not his best film, but even it's still not, it, that, it still has a lot still, of quality a, a, aspects. A really good film based on what we usually serve. Yeah, and French so. uh, or people working in other languages can often go wrong. Um, a lot of people, for example, would say the worst Wonka Wai film is My Blueberry Nights. For example, oh uh, yeah, we we need we need to have a one car Wi Fi. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a different day altogether. But yeah, that's that's anyway. yeah. Um, but that is that yeah. Or the Grandmaster, depending on what you feel. Uh, <laughs> the Grandmaster is pretty good. I'll have you know. But okay, we'll, we'll that, that's this. okay. <laughs> we'll do, but not not the Harvey Weinstein version. No, no, that's right. Of course not. The, the no, original yeah. Chinese language. Anyway, version. coming back to uh, our other Asian director. <laughs> yes, Corrado. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I think I've just about covered everything I have to say about the truth. Yeah, right? which is out now. Yeah, so it's, out now. It. it's out now. You should, you should definitely go and see it because even though it feels like an understatement to say it's not his best work, it's still better than a lot of other movies and a lot of other people's works. It's very French. It reminds me <laughs> of Summer Hours by Olivier Assayas, if anyone's seen that, which is yeah. a, yeah, which is a film that's very much just sort of based around His latest ha- non-fiction was also with Binoche was again... Uh, similar style. Similar style, so yeah. Interesting. I'll have to Assayas check out non-fiction. work and then yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very French, yes. which is... Itself, I Very think, French, yeah. but also at some points extremely Japanese. Like yeah. we, we cut to shots of trees, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. swaying, and it's like, all right. I know. I was just this like, is, this is yeah, but, Japan. Actually, yeah, and 
that kind of does feel sometimes a bit jarring and odd because you like how do these two very different sensibilities work? Well, I think I think it works to some extent because the Japanese and the French have long kind of cross pollinated culturally. I think the Orientalism was big in in Japan. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I'm, I'm not sure if Orientalism is the right word. There. I don't think it's the I right think, word I at think all. I think I'm now talking about uh, something else entirely. Edward Said, etc. Um, but but I'm uh, sure the French would say that. But uh, <laughs> what, what, would, what was the word for the, the Japanese obsession really? that happened in around like the end of the 1800s and earlier? I'm in Europe. Not there's a word for it. Yeah, that isn't I'm, I'm thinking of another offensive word. I'm sure, but that's not it. But anyway, wow. Um, okay, and uh, but something that is good in <laughs> Japanese news is that, or the Miyazaki catalog, Studio Ghibli, all oh, these yeah, films are coming to Netflix on February twenty first. It's yeah. just been announced. Yeah, which is very exciting. Wow. Um, so you can all you uncultured swines can get some culture in you. Well, uh, or you could go to the actually they've all. I, I was going to say you go out, to the yeah, art gallery, but they're all sold yeah. out the Saturday well, two PM sessions. The Takahata films will also be on there, and the other films like Whisper of the Heart by Yone Bayashi, I think, is the director's name. I'm looking that up because I'm pretty sure I, I got that wrong. The point is, there are other good Studio Ghibli directors other than Miyazaki, and they'll be on Netflix too. Exactly. Yes, very so, so we're yeah. looking forward to that coming February 21st. Watch some cinema. But something you can do before February 21st is check out, again, because you've probably already seen it if you're listening. Let's face it, you've seen this film if you're listening to the show. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker is still in cinemas and will be in cinemas for a little bit longer. We, as promised last year, are doing our spoilers discussion. So I'd just like to give an addendum to what I just said. The director of Whisper of the Heart is Yoshifumi Kondo, R.I.P. Back to the Rise of Skywalker. So we're just going to assume that if you're listening at this point that you've seen the films, we're not going to give any plot details. There's a full-throated spoiler discussion. We are spoiling the film in its entirety, uh, covering many aspects, including the non-death of Chewbacca, the non-erasure of the The non-death of Palpatine. Damn starters. <laughs> I can't be thinking about this. So he's not the only character to fall down a shaft and survive Papa Fett and Darth Maul. However, Cannon. he is the only one to fall down a shaft, redeeming his son, and then explode. No, redeem, sorry, not his son, his... His my protege or whatever. All right, and, but, but then in fairness, yeah. How many people fall down elevator shafts and creating an explosion, and then the building therein explodes? <laughs> well, well, it, it it happened in 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 Woody Allen's Irrational Man, and yeah. but he didn't. But, but okay, well, oh, wow, wow, we're reading Irrational Man too. Spoilers, spoilers, <laughs> spoilers uh, for, for Irrational, for Irrational Man. Man. <laughs> but he didn't survive that. It's okay. Well, wow, nobody, so nobody, nobody, nobody saw that movie. We plenty of people saw Irrational Man. Okay, Why? So, it is terrible. Because yeah, yeah, plenty it, of people it, it, see it, every Woody Allen movie. It was bad Dostoevsky. It was Dostoevsky. It was Crime Punishment done very poorly. This he was, was just a, playing Woody Allen. He just couldn't no, cast himself. he wasn't playing Woody Allen. He was. He, play, was. he was playing a philosophy professor. I, I can't believe we're trying to avoid talking <laughs> about Rise of Skywalker so much that we're talking about Irrational Man. All right. Um, an observation about this film. Which, the Rise of uh, the Irrational Man. <laughs> the Irrational Man is Finn, by the way. Or maybe it's Poe. What a poor well, finish to his arc, honestly. Finn or Poe? All of them? All of them. Well, Finn what, what a po was finish? the most interesting <laughs> character in the first film, aside from Kylo Ren. And they're just the lax, you know, I have to tell Ray something. Boring, like a lot of this movie. This movie cops out on everything. But as a macro approach to this film... A point Chris made of, and we were talking about whether to do, about doing the discussion is that Star Wars, to an extent, like Game of Thrones, I think uh, more so and more quickly, has become a little bit out of sight. People don't want to talk about it as much because generally there is either apathy, um, 
mildly interested at most or disappointment. And I think this is in large part because J.J. Abrams thought, I like with Endgame and all the Marvel films and all the Disney films now, a lot of the Disney films now, I want to make a film that is generally acceptable to all Star Wars fans at all sides of the divide. I, I'm not but even he miscalculated. Sure, but, but no, but actually, I'm sure that... And sorry. it's not. It didn't pan out that way. Because I feel the bigger problem is just fandom in general. I mean, well, it, uh, uh, do you as a director, it's your duty to police fandom or is it just to make, you know... I think we're getting ahead of ourselves in thinking that J.J. Abrams even had that much say here. I think his job is to bring his style and the kind of rumpy feeling of Force Awakens... Be the be the public face who takes the brunt of the anger for a whole lot of corporate decisions. If you'll allow me to to spoil Avengers Endgame, yeah, we're uh, spoiling now, Avengers Endgame. Spoiler warning. There's a moment in Avengers Endgame where, which is just such a cheap audience manipulation tactic, um, that made which is the entire movie. Of though. course, yeah, which made the the final battle feel just completely fake. Like there were no actual stakes, and there, there's no real actual events in this world that I can believe in. Um, but it's designed for a big audience cheer moment, and it's when suddenly, like the cavalry march, all of the allies arrive at once. Like Thanos says, "You've no friends," and it's like, oh, we've got all of these all friends. Like, right? All of like these old the female same, superheroves yeah, yeah, in one yeah, shot. Again, that aside, it, it's a different moment to that. That was also bad. Back to what's relevant <laughs> to Star Wars. The exact same thing happens in this movie. There's a like, "You're alone with it," and then suddenly, dun, 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 millions of people show up out of nowhere who've all been, you know, summoned by Lando. And yeah. seeing How did Lando get all these people. The, the same bizarrely terrible moment in two the two major Disney releases of the year I said there's got to be some high level executive meddling all over these films I doubt that J.J. Abrams came up with that idea it, it, it almost certainly is you know just it's so explicit and on the surface that how could this thing not have been just directed by committee with a million notes from a million executives who are worried about how to save this brand and keep selling action figures for the next 40 years on the battle and I'm jumping ahead here the battle the, the, the ground invasion on the Star Destroyer was awesome and one of the best things about the film but all the um, all the Palpatine needed to do was say, "Hey, ship, tilt like ten degrees to the left, and just watch them all fall off." That's all that needed to happen. There's just the, the, can the, you do logic. That? Of course, you can. Palpatine can oh, do I'm anything. Sorry, Palpatine can, Palpatine can do planet destroying guns to thousands of star destroyers. Did then you do he that? Can do anything. Here's the thing: the the universe, the believability of this world, just completely collapsed in this film. It it goes further than Palpatine being suddenly just announced by the title crawl and then there's no explanation for how he's he's returned. It's just except, the start. Except people saying, wait, he's back? Yeah, yeah. but this movie... <laughs> That's how keeps, I fell too. This movie <laughs> keeps going at this constant clip so with um, millions of events going on that have no bearing where we've got to find this MacGuffin, I've got to meet this person and fly to this place um, to try and stop you from thinking about it because the story makes no sense. The Palpatine being back is just the start of it, right? Um the Last Jedi sort of tried to expand the idea about, oh, there's an, there's an economy and there's people profiteering off the war, right? And, yeah. And I mean, with, with these how, kinds of ideas... How did this world operate beyond yeah, this kind exactly. of conflict? Exactly. It was with that kind of idea that even what, regardless of who wins this battle, that there is a universe and economy that continues. Sure. So now that we've introduced this idea of an economy into it, you expect that maybe there's a market where people buy and trade in things and that weapons move around in the black market. Rogue One also did sort of an... I tried to expand the world out in this way, right? As does Mandalorian, which sure. is great. Okay, so... You've got to build Star Destroyers somewhere. And previously in this world, in this um, universe, the Death Star laser weapon has been basically like the atomic bomb, bomb circa 1945. It blindsides everyone. There's treaties to try and stop people from having them. 
you know, just the fact that the First Order had one was enough to change the tide of the war. Now suddenly we've destroyed all of the foundation and stakes in this universe by saying Palpatine's back and he's got 5,000 of them out of nowhere. And they, they were built, he has, how did he in secret build up an army and the resources to build 5,000 of these super weapons and, like, and just no one noticed? And more on that, the Rogue One now, and to a great extent, the expanded canon established, and not only did it take de- decades to physically build the original Death Star, which is a lot smaller yeah. than Starkiller Base and a lot smaller than all the resources that would have gone into this armada, but to build the original Death Star was kind of like developing a nuclear weapon. It took a lot of the tech and resources and power yeah. and energy of an entire star but system. But now suddenly, in order to make the finale epic uh someone's able to just up, up for up you know one million bad things i have access to all of the bad things i have a million nuclear bombs and i represent every bad guy who's ever come before none of it matters when all you have to do is say <laughs> i represent all the sith now and i have ec- leveled up my xp i got all their power well you represent all the jedi and, and you've it, leveled up and now it's such, such, and now i take your xp such a contrived... i can do, it doesn't, yeah. he doesn't need the armada it's, if he has lightning yeah, the size of planets it's coming such, out of his Hands. A contrived way to level up make space. You have my favorite explanation of yeah. anything now. It's such a contrived <laughs> way in order to try and create the appearance of a grand stakes. Yeah, grand stakes and a massive, big, epic finish worthy of except the end of the saga. But it doesn't feel like that. It's one, like a donut. Yeah, with a donut-shaped hole. It doesn't to, to keep the Ryan Johnson <laughs> yeah. references. It no. doesn't feel like it's actually the <laughs> yeah. culmination because. It doesn't actually flow on from, and in many ways contradicts the events of the previous two films. In many ways. In, in many, many ways. ways. So instead, it feels like an entirely separate story, which is just silly. So instead of feeling like the big epic confrontation, it comes across as really just a farce. This, in, at a time when they've been trying to make the universe more believable, which makes sense from a brand management thing if they want nerds to get obsessed with this universe and buy into it. They've in this last movie said at the end of the day, Star Wars is about magic. I just the, love- the, 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 Valpatine is the biggest, baddest magician of all time, so of course he has infinite everything. And I want to say two, two points that have been raised. One, I just love that uh, Rowan Johnson went off with Frank Oz and made a much better movie. We're talking about Knives Out, of yeah, course. Yeah. Um, everything, and we're going to go on to talk about Palpatine in some detail. Not, at least from my perspective, nothing we say about Palpatine is at all an aspersion on Ian McDiarmid, who oh, is he's great hilarious. and elevates his role and is enjoyable in every moment he is on you, you know screen. what was? It's, his, it's like the moment in Revenge of the Sith where he screams out unlimited power. Something but that on high and just. Continuous. Oh, he, he's just—he's just so cheesy, and it, it's perfect because, I like, this made Snoke. Yeah, none of this should be. Um, none of this should <laughs> exist, and it does now. So we, let's make the best of it. Like the the way Get that the he. Girl, I love. Milo. I love how Palpatine. He's just so <laughs> goddamn evil. Like he just—he hates friends. I've come to this realization. Like you know, in Return of the Jedi, how he does the thing where he's like, "Look out my window! All your friends shall perish!" Right? In this one. He t- at the beginning of the movie, he's like, "I'll have all her friends," you know. Like, and then at the end oh. of the movie, he does it again while Ray's there, and it's like, "Look upon all your friends." Like, he's just so evil. I mean, he he's like, "I love enemies." I literally says, "I don't think he's evil. He just has no friends. friends." Is your weakness? I don't think he has any friends. But he just wants other people to not have friends. No, like I think us. I think he loves hatred. He loves <laughs> suffering. You are a force diet, and therefore I shall control you now. Yeah, because um, I, I, I he thought, loves strobe lighting yeah, also I, I, because there's always. Oh, we should call him by his full name. You know what his first name is? 
Sheep. Emperor. No, it's Sheep Palpatine. Don't, don't lie, his name is Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> we do not speak of Sheep in these corners. Wait, wait, Sheep? Sheep, that's his name, Sheep Palpatine. Sheep Palpatine. Sheep or Sheep? Sheev. Sheev. It's Sheev. He's just so Sheev. comically, maniacally evil. As yeah. Chris said last year, the right. idea that this comes down to a very basic elemental good versus evil. I wish there was another layer to it. Why wasn't Kylo... I wish there was a layer in it that wasn't a CGI monstrosity <laughs> slash... And there's you, necrophilia, because making out with the dead is not really... I love how... Dead. That's not technically what happened. I think No, so. he, he wasn't he wasn't no, no, dead. she wasn't dead. Not, he, not, and he was... Well, neither of them were really dead. <laughs> no, look. She, you know... They rent, like the princess okay, and the Kylo prince kissed, die. and something magic no, no, happened. No, no, hold That's on. what Kylo Star Wars didn't is about. Die. Okay. Ray saved him before he died, but then he brought her back to life. So no, she was technically, which is also dumb, by the way. But he <laughs> brought her. But he, she's alive. Fine. They're definitely. And you know, I liked that moment. I don't think his arc was. There was so I liked much the sexual arc. tension. I just wish there was a longer whole movie dedicated to showing how this character. Could turn it, but it yeah. Came Harrison simply, Ford did great work. It, it, it he almost made simply, me believe I'm that Kylo, Kylo I can died. just be redeemed that easily. It, I almost it, believed it because the scene was so well done. It came down to Kylo died, but then he survived because of Ray's benevolence, and now therefore he's good again. On and this is what we went up to talk about last year. Harrison Ford. I don't think he was good in The Force Awakens because he was doing his traditional roguish Harrison Ford role, but in this he applied the dramatic. Um, resonance that he does in his best movies, including with this, still my favorite Harrison Ford film. He brings that level of gravitas to it, and the sequence um, where he meets Kylo in the dr- in the dream was very moving. And I'm sure he did it because for Carrie Fisher, and he did it to do one last shot at this uh, character. But even but then, was, wonderful. even, and, and even the way Carrie Fisher was used, that was horrible. Well, it, actually, yeah, I, 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 I don't know about, it worked better than when Mark Hamill came back. He did not care about being in this movie. Mark, Mark Hamill dumb. gave a nice, charming B-movie performance in the last yeah. one. I thought he was very entertaining. And in this one, he clearly thinks the script is stupid. Like he, so. he, like, oh, we're he going seems, back on this again. He, he see, yeah, he seems just kind of amused by the whole thing in this film. I disagree. I am Mufasa. I'm in the clouds. I, I disagree on Carrie Fisher. So, <laughs> the, well, I, I remember watching this and coming out and saying I thought it was well done. And one of the main criticisms was that it wasn't well handled. So I went and rewatched it, and I appreciate that there's limited footage they can use, and some of the stuff she says is very broad based. And is it, oh, we had just we're able to fit this in here, but generally it worked. But they it was generally need, moving. They didn't need to. It yeah. basically worked, but I think it's one of those no-win situations because we, as the audience, are acutely aware of the fact that they did not shoot a single frame of footage for this film while Carrie Fisher was alive. They've had to reuse old scenes and shoot Billy Lord for one sequence. Yeah, we're all aware of that, and so we bring that awareness with us. Unless they they had a slam dunk where there was some missing scene. Um, at, at, you know, like with Unbreakable, where there was a, a perfect flashback scene cut from Unbreakable that was able to be repurposed into glass. Um, unless there was a situation like that, I think they should have avoided trying to repurpose that footage altogether. If they had a perfect scene where Leia discussed the Force and it worked with the themes of the, this film or could be worked into it, that would be great. But instead, it's it's a bunch of reaction shots. And while they, they basically did it well, you still can't win. It probably would have been better to just open the film with... With the announce instead of say the announcement that Emperor Palpatine's back for some reason, if it just opened saying that Leia died and and, and opened with her funeral, would have accepted. And we have to remember, yeah. back following Caravage's death, the filmmakers said she will not be a presence as such in a, a traditional character in this film. And she very They've much gone was. back on that. You know, I'm okay for them to go back on it if they thought it was the correct creative decision. I don't think they handled it too badly. They didn't. It's not that they did it too badly. It's just that the whole thing is just kind of unnecessary. Like I think they they've kind of shown an. Uh, 
unwillingness to go with the flow and change plans here. Like, clearly, um, with the way that Snoke was couched in original trilogy Emperor imagery in The Force Awakens, J.J. Abrams wanted to do some big finale involving an Emperor for Star Wars fan service. And now that Snoke is out of the way, instead of imagining something truly new for Star Wars, where Kylo Ren has become the supreme leader, um, which is, I think, what The Last Jedi was trying to do, narrow the focus down into the the conflict slash attraction between Rey and Kylo Ren. I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. It's still so good. It's much better than this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, because it has a dramatic core that makes sense and works. Honestly, I think Adam Driver would be uncomfortable reading out a lot of the stuff. Like the scene where he had to say, and we're getting to the big spoiler now, your Palpatine's granddaughter, he could not have enjoyed readings. He looks no. half checked out. No. He, he must have, he, he knew that this, and it's obvious from there the performance. There are some moments when Oscar Isaac looks hilariously checked out he's just kind of going yeah whatever you well, know there are some scenes with him well where, he says oh he's back in the most yeah somehow, he gets he gets saddled somehow. with the worst bits of dialogue he gets saddled uh, with except for palpatine's can, back he gets saddled except with except they can fly oh no so sorry the worst piece right. of dialogue is i'm the spy that is definitely the worst thing about no this no but this movie no, is ashamed of the this, previous films we no, it's, like, it's weird Hux? tension that they feel with like this triangle Rose? yeah between between ray which they failed Finn to and Poe. satisfy in any in, in which any is like i'm just way. like wait why though but there, there was no, just the movie copped out because they wanted all the shippers to keep going forever but it was fun when they went to the adventure <laughs> and here's the here's what i'll say in defense of this movie I went to watch it again about a week ago. So it was about three weeks since I originally saw it. And once I'd gotten over and dealt with... Once the major impact of the film wasn't the twists of Rey being the granddaughter and the stupidity of Palpatine being back, and the emphasis was... (laughs) And the emphasis was more broadly on just Star Wars and space adventuring... I, I still have all my criticisms. They're all still to bear. But honestly, I enjoyed it a lot But more. yeah, it's a no, surface. The, the, but action, the action things are actually good. But that that's the thing. This film, the only reason... I think if, if you're a person who likes to analyze films on this level, it's almost like undeniably terrible. I, 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 I hate to say things are objectively bad because I know that someone can disagree and think and, you know, take it apart and still argue it's good. That's fine. But, but no. it's just hard for me to comprehend. But however... J.J. Abrams is really good at giving you the surfaces. And, and you know what? you a nice, shiny, polished hood. You know, it's like it's a Ferrari and you can look in at the gleam and see X-Wings and, you know. And, like, and no have interiors. It has of good an... explosions. It has good scenes where people get emotional about the force. And no one's talking On that about level, the production design of this film. Production design is beautiful. Sequences. And one I have to point out where Ray, the, the, the stage of Kylo's quarters where Ray enters, it feels like a beautiful mix between... Um, Cloud City and how Lucas imagined the boo in the Phantom and Menace. Really nice, stunning imagery. Really stunning nice camera work. Design there. They took the bull and ran with it with the way that Rian Johnson expanded out the Force telekinesis idea. Yeah. In this film, we um, it JJ has some fun with it with some cool camera work. Is like, is Kylo really there with her or is he not? As they have that a lightsaber great. fight, yeah, across w- across dement- time and space. When the lightsaber is delivered to Kylo's back, and he shrugs, a la Han Solo and Return of the Jedi. That was hilarious, and it was practically filmed, and it caught me by surprise. It's probably my favorite moment in the entire film. Mm. But yeah, going back to how this film is, is totally ashamed of everything the previous films did, with uh, you know, Luke saying, "I was wrong." Everything I said last oh, time that, that you guys got so annoyed about on Twitter. Turns out I was wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, Hux, as you went to go back on you mentioning the I am the spy, Hux was a major character of this series. 
Hux, Hux um, and he was he was written out for a new guy who's exactly the same as Hux, oh, played General by Richard Pride, E. Grant. Of course, what a great name, yeah, General it's Pride. Like, it's Moff Tarkin. It's uh, what's the Ben Mendelsohn character from Rogue One? It's the same horrible mini robed Satan that we've seen. But what over and what over was again. interesting about this series as but, opposed to the but last prior one, to Hux uh, is that Hux, in the same way, there was this sense in the Force away. Um, well. The combined Force Awakens and the Last Jedi—that this was kind of like the wannabe Empire. That that everyone's younger and a a bit pettier, a bit less mature. Like like Kylo Ren with his tantrums, and Hux with how petty and pathetic he is in some ways. But he was a genuine character instead of simply being an evil Nazi guy. Yeah, but, and but he, but he was only in the Force Awakens. He became a comedy thing he, element he in the a, second one, and he's tripled used, down in this. He in this is one. used for comic elements in the Last Jedi, but. There still is a character conflict going in there where you see moments like he's is he is he considering whether to fall in line behind Kylo Ren or Rebel. And here it's just And he, he's trying I, to push I, his luck. I so his plan to undermine Kylo makes absolutely no sense. I think look, I think his rivalry with Kylo Ren in The Last Jedi, even though it was played for film, for comedy there, there was room to expand it. It was an interesting character character piece. But this film can't slow down for anything. So the whole idea of a Hux rebelling against Kylo Ren and maybe trying to create internal division and uh, attain power himself gets fallen by the wayside for like quick, you know, sweep it under the rug. He's a spy. He gets shot. Whatever. Like that, you know, for this, it's a shame to follow up on the plot threads for the previous films. Like all of that could have taken place over real scenes with real character drama about am I going to get found out? Hux was worth that. Rose was worth more than I'm going to stay behind here and do some things on the radio. She was a real character. They're ashamed of her. Um, yeah, to, fi- to finish, well, actually, I, I, I think on reflection that with Rose, it was more just, as you said last time, I didn't create this character, but I don't want to. With Hux, Hux went from being, to they... further the Harry Potter analogy, went from Bellatrix Lestrange, one of the best characters on the what, dark side, among um, the evil wizards, and went to the sniveling Draco Malfoy type figure who isn't as nearly as interesting. And it's just a character inconsistency. It doesn't work and the, the, doesn't land here. The thing about... Um... Not including Rose, though, is he then he pairs up Finn with another new character who has nothing to her. Like, it's time to... Last Jedi had the right idea, which is it's time to clear away all the fat. Um, let's just go straight in on the characters that matter. It did introduce a new character, Rose, but it devoted a lot of screen time to her to try to make her an important key part of the core cast. And it cut away what I think Johnson perceived to be extraneous figures to the central drama, like Snoke. Um, this film suddenly introduces, even though it's time to bring things to a conclusion, it introduces a whole bunch of new characters we don't care about. Richard E. Grant's new mini Hitler, um, the the girl who helps Finn on his, you know, who says I'm also a stormtrooper or whatever, and has has no real be- purpose or bearing being there. Um, who else? Um, there's the, any number of others who are just oh Poe's girlfriend. Side. Why do we care about like? I, I care about Poe's. I'm sorry, Bliss. Yeah, Zara, his ex girlfriend or whatever. Yeah, um, like why do we? Sorry, uh, uh, from um, the Americans. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Oh my god! This why, I, I grew yeah. up watching Felicity. This is a massive mind blow. Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell. Why do we now care? She's bold. Felicity she doesn't have much to do. She gets. She's, she's great at accepting a, a paycheck from her her former colleague JJ Abrams. <laughs> but oh, oh, yeah, she's fine. Uh, yeah, Look, Carrie Russell was great in the Americans. Go watch that. He's he's giving some paychecks to some of his recurring cast like Dominic Moen 
as the guy who says, Palpatine? Alive? Is it dark magic? All the stuff could have just gone to Rose. Seriously. But why do we now care about Poe's past and Poe's ex-girlfriend when we've previously set up a story about Poe as a dashing fighter pilot um, who has ambitions of becoming a general but is too hot-headed and now sudden and the story is reaching a conclusion there's a million threads hanging in the air and suddenly we have to care about Poe's past I like this but this is an element that was introduced it was not- but, the, but this was in, the equivalent element for Han Solo introduced at the beginning of the first film when he met Jabba the Hutt why wasn't this two and a half films earlier it's too it's late to too introduce late new characters like that and expect yeah. us to care about them it was um, time to continue what um Ryan Johnson was doing and cutting away elements and focusing on what really matters to this narrative. But instead, this film is a jumble of different characters and plot threads with a million MacGuffins. The, we've got to find the Wayfinder. We've got to find the other Wayfinder. Yeah, it's actually called the Wayfinder. We've, there are exceptions to this, though. I have here in my notes about things to talk about. It's just written more puppets. Babu pup- Frick. It's just written, yeah, it's written more puppets. So we wanted Babu Frick. Babu Frick was great. But there could be more puppets. There could have been more Babu, just charming but for me, the uh, whole thing, side characters, more for, know, bit characters for, and character for me, actors. Babu, like the magic's gone. For me, Babu Frick is not charming. Babu Frick is just so transparently, oh, it's like one of the creatures from Jabba's palace at the beginning of Return of the Jedi. Like there's very little in this film that feels new. Okay, so I want to talk about um, one of the more contra- one of the major aspects of the film, which has been the subject of debate online which is the treatment of the transports and Chewbacca's quote-unquote death now um I went back and rewatched this actually it is well set up there are two transports it is a good trick but Finn's so, dumbass so, and Finn, <laughs> Finn is stupid yes but the problem with this scene is that um similar to Leia's force flying in The Last Jedi I stand by I did not like that aspect of The Last Jedi when Chewbacca is shown to just be alive, it says that we are not willing, like uh, Game of Thrones, like later Game of Thrones character of Jon Snow, to take risks with killing off major characters. It would be very sad to see Chewbacca die, well, yeah. the most beloved character in the Star Wars universe, but um, it would have had a greater resonance. Same thing with C-3PO. He lost his memory, but then it's just back. The movie goes back on anything that seems interesting. It has moments that are designed to get you upset, like, oh no, C-3PO's lost his memory. Oh no. Chewbacca's died, um, but it, whenever there's anything that it's committing to that might be vaguely interesting, it doesn't happen. Um, I disagree with you on the Chewbacca scene, even if it has been set up. I, it just comes across as shallow audience manipulation to me to have Finn accidentally not you know forget to say there are two transporters. I'm not sure which one Chewbacca's on, but instead say Chewbacca's on that one, guys. Like, geez, it you know, it, it, knowing he was panicking, I feeling, don't not believe it, but knowing that the whole movie operates this way and it's designed to make me cry about Chewbacca dying, and you don't even have you know the vision to shake things up even to that degree and pull that off. Um, yeah, I can't buy it. Okay, so the rise of Skywalker, and of course it's Ray Skywalker. This ending where she says, "I'm Ray, Ray Skywalker. Skywalker." It was awful, and it's <laughs> so awful terrible. for a lot of reasons. Now, first of all, why is she burying the lightsabers in Tatooine? Leia's barely been there. When she was there, she was. You mean Ray? Sh- no, no, Leia. Oh, Leia. Because yeah, Leia's yeah. lightsaber was there too. Yeah. Leia was chained to Jabba the Hutt in a gold bikini, <laughs> and Luke. Hates huh? this place. So why are the lightsabers there? But on the, oh no, so the gold lightsaber, just to sell toys. Complete bull. Well, but look, here's the, matter, the thing. If you're, if you're there, to, I'm here to do this sacred uh, Jedi uh, ritual of burying lightsabers or whatever the hell. Um, but I'm just going to pull out my gold lightsaber, which I've used already previously, assumedly. But I'm going to turn it on because I like its gold color. And I want. it's like, hey, audience, look at this. Look at this thing you can go out and buy. 
Um, Where did this gold kyber crystal come from anyway? But, you know, the, the, again, it's just like surfaces. You're thinking about it and saying like, oh, this has got, you know, yes, L- Luke was there. This has got no relevance to Leia. It was where she was made a sex slave. But, in, um, but you know, the if, if you don't think about that, you're like, hey, Tatooine, cool, Star Wars, two sons, I, Star Wars imagery, I like. My nostalgia senses are being feathered by by the long feather um, are that JJ Abrams is using to write checks. Wait, are people that stupid? I, I don't know. But, I, don't know. It, I hope not. It's 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 it's, but it's worse than that because like, I'd actually have a problem with her calling herself Skywalker. But here's the thing: her parents, who also called Palpatine, sacrificed themselves for her. Why not be like, yeah, my grandfather was a tool, but my name is Ray Palpatine. And my and it parents been, were awesome. I mean, I know this is too much to hope for because it's a long time ago that we've abandoned anything to do with the Last Jedi in this in this film. But the Last Jedi's message is kind of like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're a Palpatine or a Skywalker or whatever. What matters is you, um, what's inside you. And that that was what was beautiful about the idea that Rey really was a nobody. It's just that some, you know, talent isn't just a genetic thing so that we can keep these aristocracies of, of galactic kings and princes and princesses going like the Jedi seem to do. But in- well, they, but yeah, but well, they don't because Jedi somehow have this... They're, they're- they they don't actually yeah. procreate, which but is no. strange, given the force is hereditary. It's, yeah, exactly. It's stupid. Um, it's like Disney and Lucas's vision contradicting each other a little bit. But in I'm di- I'm fine with not procreating. It's overrated. So in this film, um, uh, oh, this, anyway. this, this 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 movie you you threw me for a couple. Yeah. Of it. But yeah. yeah, in in this film, um. They wanted the coolness of, hey, she's Rey Skywalker. Like, we, we've we tied in the Skywalker legacy, and you can buy nine of these films in a box set, and they all somehow slightly feel like they relate to each other, even though they don't. <laughs> because Palpatine's in here, and at the end she says she's a but Skywalker. He's not the thing that's ever tied it together. But that, that's no, the thing. but he is now, because that we needed to come up with something. But the, that's the thing, I, I agree. Like, I just didn't get like why did she say that? Like it hadn't it had no made, made she, no she sense. She said that to say I am legacy of Star Wars movies by I, the by the figure that I, says Ray Skywalker. I, I, I can't take credit for this, but there's <laughs> a no, there's a number of probably YouTube critics who've drawn a comparison between this moment and another in a JJ another bad JJ Abrams film, Star Trek Into Darkness, where the Benedict Cumberbatch says, "I my name is not John Harrison, I am Khan," it's which so, plays yeah. to the audience, but everyone, the all, you know. Kirk and Spock are like, who's Khan? Who's Khan Nguyen Sung? We we don't know about eugenics wars that much. What the hell's going on? Star Trek Into Darkness is a great comparison in in a lot of ways. It is also a movie that is cool to look at, but is so dumb if you think about it for a moment. Um, (laughs) Actually, the treatment of the Klingons was really bad. The treatment of everything was really bad. The treatment of my intelligence was really bad. Star Trek Into Darkness does (laughs) the same thing Rise of Skywalker does, which is they... That was funny. It's cool there in it. Okay, Star Trek Into Darkness does the same thing this movie does, which is permanently solve the issue of death in this universe, because now we've got magic powers that can just bring dead people back. Yeah, there's no... There hasn't been stakes for a long, but long time. The, it's, uh, uh, this and, movie just it just makes me angry. And compare the twist... Okay, compare the twist for your Yuri's granddaughter, which is also a bad line, to Ray just standing there in the throne room saying, I'm no one... That that that, that was, and, and it had emotion. It had emotion yeah. to it because the way that remember the the dialogue there. It's it's your no one, but not to me. It yeah, was a character so, moment. So it's like, it was, wow, it was saying like, like I I care about you, right? It was com- huge. Com- yeah, it's huge. A- as was that, the moment and, where we met the little boy at the end. You can, we don't see him again. Exactly. It's you. I'm okay with not seeing him again because for me he was kind of an anchor. Like go off and imagine 
other adventures, the story continues. Oh, that how great but, would it be just to think of The Last Jedi as the end of the saga? It, it works that way. It's a kind of philosophical and metaphorical end, if not a, a standard narrative literal one. It doesn't tie everything together, but it gives you all you need. But the thing is, um, when you were saying before about Palpatine's parents and how what a disservice she's doing to them by being like, oh no, I wouldn't be associated with the name of that disgusting goblin Palpatine. I'm a pure Skywalker, like these these fine people in you know smiling beatifically from the, from the it's a they're, they're like animatronics at the end from like some future Star Wars version of the it's a small world ride where you'll like you'll ride through on on a river. Just go. I'm going out on a limb with this one, okay, guys. Anyway, you'll ride by on a river and you'll see these like beaming. Luke and Leia things in the background and, and at the end they'll hand you a gold lightsaber and there'll be a photo opportunity and that's what Star Wars is now yeah. on that why why was it okay, okay this more creative decision I'm not going to take such issue with this why wasn't Kylo and many more people one of the force ghosts at the end I'm um, surely they've like you know kind of if he's good, if he's Ben Solo now surely yeah. they've patched things up. It's so that know. they can d- deploy the epic Kylo Ren Force Ghost scene as a hook for a future Star Wars pr- uh, product. Also, like Ben Solo. But yeah, the reason why she wouldn't be associated, <laughs> Great name. she wouldn't use that. It is a cool name. The reason why she wouldn't use the Palpatine name is that uh, you're not supposed to actually think about her parents and their sacrifice. You're just supposed to think that Palpatine is so disgustingly, festeringly evil that he's the source of all evil, that no one would ever want to be associated with him. I, I touched on this when we did our original coverage of the show, that this guy is just so monolithically evil that when he's like, you will join me on the dark side and feel hatred running through you, you know, it's like you'd you just be like, well, no. Like, I don't relate to you just at all. No. Like, and, and on that, like, join me. And you're like, no. Like, how, there's nothing uh, uh, yeah. attractive how about, no? about his proposition. How about no? Yeah. Uh, so, like, so, Kylo at least made it sexy, right? He's like, join me. I'm, I'm a white man. <laughs> join you me know, in the dark I'm side. I got, I, got, yeah. I got perky I, I, nipples. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a yeah. good-looking guy who, under, who actually understands yeah. and, and I'm showing interest you. in you. Yeah. Whereas Palpatine, can you imagine Palpatine saying, but, you you know, you are important to me, Ray, beyond saying, you are part of my my plan is coming to fruition, you know? And now we shall rule but together. That, actually, that 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 brings me to to my biggest gripe with this whole thing. He's supposed to be a master manipulator. I just don't see how, how he can be convinced. Okay, well, so, so, okay, okay. Hold on a second. If you went back several, he's obviously he's obviously been around several years. If he created Snoke, no, if, but like, if, if Snoke but was like, what, what? Why is this terrible, disfigured clone the guy you said to convince? Kylo to go to the dark side wouldn't it be better to tell us Palpatine and say hey I was basically with your granddad who you love and admire yeah. why don't you just join me I'm Palpatine he was like oh but, yeah but sure all done. of Palpatine when he became the the like Mac Daddy Palpy <laughs> evil guy thing all of his charm and powers of influence have gone away like Palpatine can't now walk in and say Yes, your father. A good man. I knew him well. Come and learn the secret. He would just he would just walk in and say, Ah, yes. You know, like, ah, You yes. shall be mine, Kylo. <laughs> yes, Finally. Just like your father before you. Like, he cannot yeah. just stop being evil for a moment. <laughs> he's, he's literally, he's like, hanging like, from this. He, where does he get these, all these black I clothes? Spider, spider machine. Where's he just, like, regular clothes? Doesn't he just have a set of... I just, oh, so, I just wanted wait, a quick cameo by, like, Mike Myers doing a mini-me impression. When did this guy... Find time to raise a well-custom kid. It's just like a goth rave. 
how, how did he have a normal kid? He's living this normal, like, regular life. I'm like, oh, I'm going to have the kid, and I, I probably should let it go. Oh, so die. <laughs> the thing about- hey, child, I brought you a birthday present. <laughs> On the it's subject of, of Yes. On the it's subject ash. of Palpatine's infinite capacity for evil um, and infinite resources that we were talking about earlier, at the end, when there's all these Sith people like cheering in this stadium, where were they extras from Endgame or something? Yeah, there's all these Sith guys cheering, and I wondered if they were meant to be a metaphorical representation of the ghosts of the Sith. But it makes just as much sense in this film for them to actually be real Sith who are really there, because otherwise, who built all the star destroyers and constructed all of the lasers if he doesn't have access to thousands and thousands of people we don't know about? So, so all these Sith are just hanging out on this planet on the, they, in the outer room. Yeah, are they, are they all? So yeah, like are they actual people? Are I they think, force projections? I think JJ would say they're force projections because he doesn't like to give any fixed answers, but. It makes maybe more sense for them not to be because it would at least explain, oh, yeah, we acknowledge that he has a staff. But, yeah, are these guys just all, like, quietly hiding until Ray appears so that they can all do the evil thing where they pop out all at once and, and start? Surprise! <laughs> We're all here. We all have pointy fingers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, actually, on, on being evil and Sith-like, <laughs> um, you know what was really good? <laughs> the Ray dream, which is bad. She's like, don't be afraid. Oh, it's that so, was... no, 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 it's no, no, so that, terrible. That worked. And I wanted to you... see more of evil Ray. I'll tell you why it's terrible and why you're wrong. No. Uh, you're entitled to your she, opinion. She, 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 she saw well, okay. The, so there's objective facts. That, there are objective things that are wrong. Now, I, I'm joking. No, she, I don't think there are. I was joking no, about but, that. But she she actually sells being evil in this stream quite well. I would like to have seen more of. Look, evil I way. think Daisy Ridley could do it. I just don't think the writing and directing could do it in a way that wasn't impossibly lame. Like it, for me, it was just kind of like, um, I'm. I, it's like I'm. Hey, uh, hey, I'm Ray Skywalker. Evil, evil Ray was kind of like. I don't know if this is intended, but there was something kind of like she's meant to be like the bad sexy girl kind of thing, like in the way that she does the lunge forward bite thing. Like it didn't come across as just like serial killer evil. It's so it's so controlled that it's more like it's, it's, here's it's, me being kinky. Did am I just a pervert or did you get this vibe from her? So, 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 when, you, when, you, when you made that description, I thought of um, there's that moment in the. F- fifth Twilight film where Bella becomes a um, Twilight spoilers sorry it totally feels like that a vampire just like jumps out yeah I remember I've heard other people describe you know other people friends (laughs) talking about the scene describe her as like the the kind of sexy evil thing like it just comes across that way which for me is kind of tone deaf (laughs) but I acknowledge that this may be a failing of myself as opposed to the film but the other thing about that moment the thing that just did I like it just because Daisy Ridley's gorgeous but the other thing about that moment is um, it's like the gold lightsaber at the end. I couldn't help but just think we're seeing another new lightsaber design and it's got something that can be made into a toy because it's got this snap action thing where the lightsaber folds down. And I was just like, oh, cool, another new lightsaber toy. Would it be funny if Bobby Frick kink, kink, outsold Kinky lightsaber. Everything? Right. Yeah. I, wonder, I honestly wonder if that moment is just in there for the... Uh, Toy, the toy, and for the trailer moment. Because I noticed at the end of TV ads after I saw the film, they would show this moment of Evil Ray. And she's only in there for a few seconds. She's barely relevant to the film. And she doesn't have any real narrative purpose. But it's because Ray just sees this lame, evil version of herself and goes, Yeah, I don't want to become that. That didn't look very cool. Right? But as, as a two second snippet, it gives you a cool hook at the end of the trailer like, Oh, is Ray going to go evil? Nope. We're not in, in store for anything nearly that interesting, kids.
Buckle up and enjoy a no, million I, I Falcon and the, flying there's no between a million MacGuffins. To, at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, where Luke rocks up dressed all in black and just starts force choking this guard. No. I really like that, which says, okay, he's on a different trajectory here. No, there's, there's just... no moment where I believe... With Luke, yes, like, there's, there's some hints, but there's no moment where I believe Rey, who's just so she's Harry so Potter. British. She's so Harry Potter-esque good. She's so just like... Harry Potter she, will turn she's to the dark so side good and neither will she. that she enunciates all her words... And she loves her friends, whereas Palpatine has a strange accent and hates friends. <laughs> you come with me to this dark planet. You won't have any friends, but you have unlimited power. Unlimited power. <laughs> um, is there any other ways that I hate this movie that we haven't mentioned yet? <laughs> there's, there's, there's I'm sure there are many, but there, uh, there, there comes there a point. Things. We've talked about Hux. Um, the ending we've we've covered... Uh, the, I, I, you know, the metal Chewbacca thing, I liked it, but it was such a terrible piece of fan. So it's like, no, no, we're correcting the record because we oh, yeah, this yeah, yeah. it was hope. stupid. But, but you, you know what? If J.J. Abrams was going to have this kind of forethought, why then did Leia hug Ray when Han died instead of Chewbacca, who's known this guy for exactly most of his life? somebody? But they they did this this correction to make the series even more PC, right? Like Star Wars has to be PC. Everything has to be PC. Um, don't get me wrong. I generally agree with things that are PC. I think it's definitely true that that Chewie, it was stupid that and racist, speciesist, whatever that Chewie didn't get a medal. Um, it's anti Wookiee, and we love. He, he was like, yeah, Chewie's the dog. Yeah, it was messed up, yeah. but it's, you know. <laughs> All right. Um, I, I like. I liked. Okay, things that something I liked. Yeah, I liked the slug. I thought the slug was nice. I don't... With the, the, she helped the... Oh, the I feel a bit more as a worm. Okay, worm. But the thing is... I, hey, can I spoil the, the hell out of this movie? We're spoil, we're already spoiling I know, this movie. okay, great. You're right. Forgot where I was for a yeah. second there. Okay, here's how the movie is stupid. Here's the level of, of dumbness <laughs> in its writing. They introduce a new force power where it's like healing the worm, where they create a scene where it's like we have to kill this space monster and instead she shows compassion in it and because it's no longer in, in jeopardy, um, it... it respects that something good has been done for it and it slithers off. And so they, what they s- seem to be saying is the Jedi are good because they do good things, not just because they're good, right? Not just because they're good because they're good. But at the end of the movie, it comes down to Palpatine is evil because he's evil and the Jedi are good because they're good, right? Like what exactly makes the Jedi good as galactic rulers or I know they're yeah. not seeking to rule the galaxy or whatever, but you know what, what makes them good and Palpatine bad? Because at the end, he comes up with this um, challenge where it's like, if you kill you, if you kill me, you will become bad, and the Sith will will win, right? But the movie, and even though it's a film where they've previously introduced this idea about Jedi's healing instead of killing people, the script still walks back from this dilemma they've created so that she manages to kill him, but in the cool way with the Jedi backing her up so that um, it doesn't matter anymore. All right. Um, I, to do this with you talk about the prequel trilogy, but to note just another stupid thing very quickly about this movie, the dagger, which just worked to look at the ridges of the Death Star, which oh, yeah, are just dumb. Just dumb. Um, on the matter, on this matter of Jedi there was also an Aquaman versus... about you know just uh, just looking through that to okay. find apparently a much better movie. But like, um, if, if there yeah, should be like sure. feet drawn on the ground, like stand here. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> then, when you hold the Wayfarer, it should line up. Something like the Wayfinder to find your way. Wayfarers. <laughs> the, the... I want to see Ray wearing Wayfarers. And there's many good things about The Last Jedi. Just to note, I rewatched Empire Strikes Back on Sunday, and it's <laughs> amazing just how much it is a sequel. 
in the vein of The Empire Strikes Back, how similar it is in many it respects, is. how it follows the best things about it, including the great twist. Um, a comment Luke, a comment Luke made was that the Jedi at the height of their powers were hubristic and allowed the Sith to rise. There's a lot of faults with the prequels, but there is a lot of commentary, and many much of it implicit, about what is wrong with the Jedi, including Mace Windu's line, no, he's too powerful, we just have to kill Palpatine. There's a there's a much-mocked moment at the end of Revenge of the Sith where Obi-Wan says, only the speak, Sith speak in absolutes, which could be seen as ironic. I honestly think this was very, the meaning was very clear, that the Jedi got corrupted to the point where there were elements of how they held onto power, which is not similar to how the Sith <laughs> held onto power. This is interesting, but it's not interesting when it's simply Palpatine saying, I'm going to destroy everyone and kill everyone, which is, yes, the yeah. Jedi were corrupt, but that's not, and yes, they took babies from their parents. Something no one talks about because they were force sensitive, but Wait, what? That's, that's how the Jedi recruited. If you were under three years old and they found that you were force sensitive, they'd say, we're going to train you. They take them to the Jedi Temple, train them up as Padawans. This movie walks back oh, from what anything a cult. political. Yeah, it, the Jedi were a cult. Absolutely. Well, this movie walks. When I was saying Hundreds that. Of years, thousands of years. When I was saying that this movie is all, fa- is all surfaces, this movie is all about Star Wars fan service and it walks back from anything that's vaguely sociological or political. Um, any, any, again, talking about earlier, there's no kind of economical, sorry, uh, grounding for how the armies work when they seem to be introducing aspects of those in some of the other Star Wars films we've seen recently. Um, and to go further, there's not really, sorry, what were we just talking about? Uh, how there's no, I got econ- lost in my own rant. There's, there's no economy in this universe. Yeah. Essentially, if you can introduce something that will destroy everything, you can introduce a cataclysmic world yeah. ending event. Then what's the point of having? Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. You know, but I mean, even Voldemort had limited okay, power. I remembered he what I was trying to say. Dark wizards to there's, help n- out. there's no political grounding to this anymore. Like compared with the way that the Jedi were depicted previously, it was like they were decadent. Um, and the the last <coughs> they in some ways set the stage for their own downfall. The last Jedi followed this up to some extent with Luke saying, you know, yeah, maybe the Jedi weren't so good, and you you should not. Uh, just cherish these texts because they just because they were old and because a lot of people before you believed in them. Like, what do they mean to you? Um, whereas in this film, Palpatine is, you know, he's just bad because they're bad and the Jedi are good because they're good. Essentially, it just comes down to that. Like, the Jedi are really, really good because they're the good guys. And um, they'll give you a cool power-up so that you can, like, hang on, didn't they say that hatred is the path to the dark side? The way that Rey kills Palpatine in this movie... Um, as his lightning's getting deflected back at him, she does this and fuck you, like thrust forward, which create, makes his face melt. She does like, like I hate you this much, and like, is he even dead? I mean, can't he just come back in this universe? I think, yeah, exactly. But just seeing her do that—that's the kind of thing that makes me say, what's the difference between the Jedi and the Sith anymore? She was just like, you're so evil, I hate you this much. But that's what the, was it no, in the defense? It's two sons, right? Yeah, but two sons, gold lightsaber. Yeah. What, what more do you need? Um, Clearly different. But yeah, you're right. Why can't Palpatine just come back? I want Palpatine to be the only villain from now on. I want it to be like, Palpatine's back. He's gotten into the AI. Like, Palpatine's <laughs> taking over our computer systems. And then we can go inside that's, the computer and fight, like, mecha, like that's a AI, pretty much the plot AI. of that Johnny Depp movie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We can have, like, Transcendence oh, with Palpatine. So we can have a mecha Palpatine, where it's like. have a mecha Palpatine. But, like, Palpatine, but, like, a real, like, pal- giant walking Palpatine robot, wow. which is, like, a Death Star. And John, he's in Johnny, space punching X- X-Wings. I need to see that. Johnny Palpatine is a good name, though. <laughs> I want it. Johnny Palpatine is a good name. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I watched The Mandalorian, and 
Every episode is exponentially better. There's a sequence in, I think it's the fourth or fifth one, which is basically Seven Samurai, where a village defends themselves against a bunch of rogue bandits who have stolen an ATST. And it's a very small scale, and it's better than anything in this movie. It's better than the giant well, epic fight in this movie. Go see The Mandalorian well, it's if like you're feeling you need a Star Wars fix. Everything needs to Nobody be needs it. an epic mega. Nobody, Mandal- needs, Ma- nobody Star needs a Star Wars fix. Mandalorian's Fantastic. Have, have we covered Last Jedi? I think we've. Co- I mean, we, 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 Rise we, of Skywalker. Oh, we yeah. can talk about Last Jedi forever, but Rise Good. of Skywalker. I feel there's nothing yeah. more. I, yeah. Okay. So yeah, no. the sky is risen. There's Walkers. Some, it's, it's still in cinemas. If you want to see it again, there's a couple <laughs> of spoiler points I want to say for Little Women and Bad Boys for Life. Okay, should we start with Bad Boys for okay. Life? Okay, Bad um, Boys for Life. So yeah, he is Mike Lowry had a secret. Secret sign. You know, I had a I had a theory after I watched this movie, which is like Roth's <laughs> face. Just look at. I'm, I'm looking this up to, I mean, in case there's one I've forgotten about. Really though. He has. Okay, so yeah, the, he really the, the, does. The explanation, the five minute emotional explanation, is that before the events emotional of Bad Boys, explanation. before the events of the first Bad it's Boys a soap movie, it suddenly you're supposed to he care was about undercover for years in uh, overseas and was the driver for the wife of a drug cartel leader and then fell in love and unbeknownst to him, she had his son and then he was involved in putting okay. the drug cartel leader I away. Need, I need to put out my pet theory about Will Smith's recent career choices. He has had a good movie in now 23 years. iRobot was good. No, it wasn't. Okay, oh, so... Oh, th- th- that's not how the laws Bright doesn't count. Depicted. Bright doesn't count? I like Bright. I, I, okay, Bright doesn't count. Um, and okay, not everything fits into this. I'm looking at all the films he's done. Not everything fits into this this theme. But I've, have you noticed a lot of his movies since After Earth focus on Will Smith's son, metaphorical or otherwise? I have a feeling that Suicide he, Squad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the daughter in that case. Yeah, right. It, it's all about Will it's Smith's son or his daughter. I, I think Certainly he he has to beauty. he wants to promote. Yeah, he wants to promote this family image. And I feel like he's probably used his... I, I mean, I'm speculating here. I know that um, the previous director for this film who has a screenplay credit, Joe Carnahan, left because Will Smith had some demands about the story that he disagreed with. And I wonder if one of those is, I want to have a son. Gemini Man is basically Will Smith meets his son. And it, um, mm. the... Yeah, Collateral Beauty. Oh, yeah. and at the end of Bad Boys where it's, yeah, it's okay. Let's go, you know, have a Fast and Furious style. Yeah, no, no, no wait, hang on. Pursuit of Happiness was okay, but also about his son. Yeah, but that yeah. goes back a bit earlier, but still. Is it more than 20 years? After he just that was 2013. He wants to be, he's Spies in Disguise where he gets to be the father figure for this for the young kid spy. Like, how, it's how does just, Bright not count? Is I haven't, is, does Bright feature a son? Oh, is that, I, oh, all right. I, uh, Bright does not feature a yeah, child. Yeah, I, I, oh, I watched most it? of Bright, and no, I didn't. No, I don't think so. Yeah, it's that's pretty, why I said Bright doesn't count. It's pretty, but, pretty dark. But almost everything he's been doing has been uh, about Will Smith's relationship with his son, and it's like I want to tell stories about my about my family, or I am I have this image of Jaden Smith and Willow Smith out in the world and being a dad. So I don't know I'm, what it is, yeah, but it's is, weird. Is, 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 is like, Jaden Smith doing any movies after the Karate Kid? Because that's the only thing. I, I haven't know. seen him do. And uh, After Earth, where Will Smith was his dad. Well, he is. Yes, that's right. I, I never saw After Earth. I didn't. It's based on the true story of, of when <laughs> Will Smith. After uh, Earth. Um, th- look, I had so many jokes ready just then, but I, I don't want to a CR to get sued, so none of them will be said. Uh, anyway. 
It's okay. Uh, Will Smith will return. So it and, was... it, and you can bet your ass he's going to have oh, a son. And the ending with this massive sequence in the giant there's rotunda. A f- it's, there's a so really dumb. goddamn funny scene in, in Bad Boys for Life when what the hunk of the, like the, the, the large muscular blonde guy of the team sees a bad guy shooting a gun. The guy uh, from Vikings we're talking about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. That figures. Um, there's a guy standing up um, on like the... Uh, one floor up and there's a pillar you know below from the the balcony or whatever that this guy's shooting off so the guy looks up at him then charges forward and tackles the pillar which then collapses and makes the bad guy fall it was so funny for me it was it was like um i'd watch a whole movie about this passive giant dude it, but how did the giant dude know that he would have enough force in his tackle to make this pillar collapse no, it, it, like it's strong enough to withstand a guy firing a machine gun from the top of it, but not strong enough to survive a guy running into it. The, the, the because the doing, director said so. What's the um the in the Dirty Dozen? There's the character um who went to prison for punching a guy and accidentally killing him. It's basically that guy, but in the comedy in co- in the comedy world. So yeah, Bad Boys is stupid. Bad Boys was stupid. Uh, don't. Look, even the score, Mark Mancina wrote a great score and they remix it and it's not as good because it has to be modern and updated. The score is bland. Oh, so, and getting into more contentious things there, we were talking about this off air. Um, people talk about Michael Bay as regressive in many respects, but in 1995, he cast two African American yes. actors in lead roles without considering even so much remarking on and it. A, with a script that wasn't explicitly written for the characters to be black. And in the second one, um, there's a lot more racial commentary. In this one, it starts off with heavily racialized commentary and it lets up a little, but it's still a consistent theme. It it's, less, it's less of a theme than it was in Bad Boys 2. Bad Boys 2 is so racial, like beyond just the, the main characters into everyone's defined by their race. And like, look at how many racial stereotypes we can throw into one movie. There's like there's the Rastafarians and there's the the Mexicans and there's the the Cuban guys on the on the force. Anyway, it's it's very dumb. I know. So in addition to just talking about the superhero theme, um, the main antagonist in this film, it turns out to be Michael Lowry's son, is also a superhero. He could just basically do anything. The film yeah. is dumb. Um, um, that's bad boys. Oh wait, life. so his secret son is the villain. Yeah. No, but but he becomes good when he realizes that Martha was the, both of their mum's names. <laughs> At the end, um, so anyway, uh, yeah. why it, it, did you dig that it, name? It, it, it would have been great if her name was Martha, but I, I don't. Was it the, the witch? witch. Oh, God. The witch. And yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah, they yeah Martha would have been they, they much literally better, called actually. the central female character in this film the witch. There's just the Paul yeah. Nunes character is pretty good, but she doesn't have much development. Neither does Vanessa Hudgens character, the Ludwig character. You know what? The best thing to come out of this film, maybe that Charles Melton could be a movie star. The guy who plays Reggie on Riverdale. He's funny. Okay. Little Women. I want to go into... Uh, spoilers, exp- spoilers. Little Women. We're, yeah. including, we're, to note, we're including in the spoilers for the book and the film. Yeah. Okay. So at the end, and Greta Gerwig wants to have her meta commentary about it's stupid that she marries the uh, the guy played by Louis Garrel in this movie. That that arc, at least in the context of the film, wasn't earned. It's, it's oh, but I like him. There's a little more not, to it. I'm being reductive. Yeah, but Many, it wasn't as well developed as the key relationship between her and Laurie. Definitely, which in not. Venice is the central part and of the one of the central parts of the novel. Many people feel like the relationship was also not earned or developed properly in the book, and I feel like Greta Gerwig here tries to offer an explanation 
She's giving an apologetic for the book, saying it was forced to be this way by social pressures of the time. And the fourth wall breaking aspect, that's how I interpreted it. The fourth wall breaking aspect of Joe writing the story, which turns out to be the same story and and having all these demands about the way the narrative should go. And she has to marry this person, even though, as they point out, she's shown no marriage throughout the, no interest in marriage throughout the entire course of the narrative up until then. But for me, to it, it, there's something smug about um, going into that that meta commentary when the story itself was really drawing me in. And you know, yeah, you're right. It is stupid, and I don't care that she's marrying this guy. Is Yet she- we still devote all this screen time to it. But she, I, Greta Gerwig had done such a good job at reorienting it so that the main thing isn't the marriage, it's her success with her writing. She could have just changed the ending, honestly, yeah. if she felt it was better in line with the, That's uh, what, the exactly. basis of the characters. That's what I wanted. Um, I would have preferred a changed ending. And, and you, there's, some, there's something more about that character, actually. Um, the, the Louis, maybe this wasn't ha- done because Greta Gerwig... I'm just speculating here. Maybe Greta Gerwig felt like she didn't want it to become about um, her success depends on what some man thinks of her. But the only thing I cared about in relation to the Louis Garrel character is what does he think of her writing? Because at the be- you were set up for that. At the beginning of the film, he there's a brilliant scene where he offers her criticism of her writing and she reacts in the most petty kind of knee-jerk way while he, um, in my opinion, gives a really uh, considered, wise, considered, considered response about the relationship between critics and artists. Um, so at the end of it, the, you... You know the trajectory is that she and wrote honestly, something bad there because she didn't hadn't found her voice. Yeah. And at the end, if he he could just look at it and say, "I was really touched by your new work," it doesn't need to be that. Um, you know, he she he his approval is necessary, but that would be a conclusion of the arc that we saw with this character. Instead, it's about the marriage. Just focus on what actually matters to to this character and this new remix of the narrative. I, I think she should have gone off course and cut the the wedding from the end because who cared? Yeah, it, it was more about you know. Trying to come to terms with the fact that you're a successful writer and what it means, and and can and do you have something in, inside that's worth caring yeah. about? Um, on the matter of narrative devices, uh, the, what we referred to, I referred to obliquely earlier was the introduction of the manuscript "Little Women" by yeah. Joe March. Yeah, um, we've seen this at, for the reasons that stated. I think it is rele- it is relevant and does have resonance, but. You know, when they did it in Gilmore Girls, it was so tragic. In a post-Game of Thrones world where we saw it at the end where Tyrion introduces it, it's so bad. And it co- and, and it comes off that oeuvre and it doesn't land as well as I think Greta Gerwig. I, I think she knows that a lot of people watching this film will not have seen at the very least Game of Thrones, so it may have a better resonance. Game of but Thrones wouldn't have been a consideration. It could it have would, been it, left out of... It could have been Game of Thrones the floor. ended while this movie was in editing, so it wouldn't have been a consideration. So that is Little Women. It is in cinemas now, as is Bad Boys yeah. for Life. The it's truth, still a good movie. And sorry, Bad Boys. Yeah. Little Women. Little Women. Uh, yeah. Little Women's really good. We've probably yeah, given I, I, more I think, of an yeah. impression we don't like it. Exactly. It's just I, th- I think we've done a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that the flaws are very apparent. Yeah. It's a ve- it's a good film, but it's very easy to notice the ways that it could be better. Yeah. But that doesn't make it a bad film. No, that so, doesn't. It's yeah. still it's still um, very sensitive to the characters' lives. Quite moving. And look forward to more from Chalamet and Rhoda in the coming years. They're brilliant separately and together. They're going to have incredible careers for the next and coming co- decades. Yeah, and of course, Gerwig. If I may give some Oscar commentary. Sure. Oscars, yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Look, All right. could have been a great power couple moment with Baumbach and right. Gerwig both on the they're best both, they both Well, they're a great power couple both missing out on best director. So, uh, yeah, as it sh- as 
I wouldn't say as it should be, but they're in they're in good company. Oscar story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> none of them could match the prowess of the great Todd Phillips. But um, but yeah, actually, that's the thing. The you thing know, Lulu Wang or what, there could have been yeah. so many other directors. Could that's have been the thing. They don't nominated. they don't go for Loki directing. They go for big flashy styles, which is that they were never going to nominate Lulu Wang in the same way that they they would nominate Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. They could get on board with Marriage Story for acting, but they couldn't make the connection to, wow, this is all these powerhouse performances and the, the story's told really well into it's a well-directed film because it's not flashy. Yeah, um, I think what is directing? Yeah, you know, it's like, people yeah. are upset Greta Gerwig didn't get nominated, and I agree, she's a better, uh, much better than some of the people in this category like Sam Mendes and um, and Todd Phillips in terms of what she turned out this it's year. It's a better, better but, movie than Lady Bird, and Lady Bird got nominated. Yeah, that's yeah. right. But I think Greta Gerwig will be okay if I can... Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think so. yeah. yeah sure. like, She got in the, the Hollywood Roundtable, which was... If I anything, think, I think... I mean, I, I think Brett will disagree here, but I think Lady Bird was overpraised. I agree. I th- and this okay, is a better yeah, film. Yeah, this is a better film. She got nominated. Uh, she got a nomination out of the bat for. Um, yeah. You know, like the the industry has embraced her. It's not some great. I don't think it's a. I think it would be better for the optics if they nominated her. So there's at least one woman in contention, um, especially when she's better than some of the other nominees. But. Um, I don't think it's some grand tragedy, given that her very first film as a director swept yeah. nominations last time Pretty and much. got her, won her a best best director nomination. Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah. Go see Little Woman. Uh, we'll be doing our Oscars commentary in the coming weeks, and as well as let us know what you want us to fight about. And we'll be back next week with A Hidden Life, the new Malik. It'll be a very two Malick war films, film. 1917 and A Hidden Life. Yes, and we'll have conflicting opinions on which one is better. I I think I'd be very surprised without having seen a hidden life if it's not better than 1917. Oh my! Okay, then maybe we'll not have a controversial opinion because <laughs> yeah, maybe controversial. A, lo- a lot of people of just loved 1917, and I just was like, I don't know what you're smoking. Yeah, anyway, um, that's for next week. That is. That is. Have a wonderful night. Enjoy movies. Thanks for listening. Good night.